The year is 1969 and Hollywood is booming. While many stars are heading towards their pinnacle, some are just trying to stay afloat. Which direction is former television star Rick Dalton heading in? Find out on this week's episode of The I'd Like a Refund Podcast, starring Cameron, Joel, Ryan, and featuring special guest, Logan. Welcome to the newest edition of the I'd Like a Refund podcast. I'm your host, as always, Ryan. Joining us today, my dear friend and yours, the bad boy of podcasting. He is Cameron. Cameron, how are you doing today? Yo, what's when did I become the bad boy of podcasting? Oh, when you said one. Well, yeah, when you (laughs) when you had that sailor mouth during Greatest Showman, the first episode. Well, okay, so I thought that we were doing like lots of cur not lots of cursing, but (laughs) I thought we agreed that we're going to be cursing and everything. And I went back and listened to the first episode, and I'm the only I'm the only person who cursed, and I was like. I sound like I have a lot of anger inside of me, and everyone's like, wow, that kid has problems. You know what's funny, Cameron, is that uh, my mom listened to that episode, <laughs> and, she, and she liked it, but she was like, I'm not going to pass that along to your grandparents because your one friend cursed too much in it. That's I, a true story. That's a true story. <laughs> I, yeah, that's – well – my mom started listening to it, and she's like, she Cameron. Yeah, she yelled at you. Yeah, she's like, Cameron, I didn't know you talked like that. She's like, why would you say the F word if something is good? Don't you only say it when it's bad? And I was like, well, I, I so that I stopped cursing. We're proud you of you. You may have caught, caught me catching myself when I started cursing in other episodes, but I, I am, I'm rated G. I am for everyone now. Well, we'll see how that goes for this one. Joining us again, as always, is Joel. Joel, how are you? Well, Ryan, I got myself a Rick Dalton whiskey sour for this episode, uh, so I'm ready to go. Excited to be here. I like Remember when have, I said I had I like I, how I tried clear, to show you? Yeah, you, you can't a, see it. You have it in a clear a glass because we can't see it. Yeah, um, and, and all the audio, everybody listening definitely can see it too. So it's yeah, great. exactly. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, when you said like, "Oh, are you ready to go?" and I said, "Oh, I have to go do something really quick." This was that something I to had make to go it. Make you had this. to make a drink. Yeah, you, absolutely. Is, is this your eighth one, like Rick Dalton drinks? No, I don't think I'd make it through the episode if I got that far in. Well, so I made a, I made a cup of tea, I guess, since we were all making drinks. I have a jug of water, so that's a good Logan, start. Logan, what are you drinking? Uh, I have a beer. <laughs> that's always something. Coming in with the man stuff. There you go, yeah. Yeah, tapped my keg before I came in today. Wait, Ready who to was go. that? Who's yeah, that? Who? <laughs> so, folks, joining us this week, our very first guest appearance on the show. This is my dear friend and soon to be yours, Logan Byam Taylor is joining us. Logan, how are you? I'm good. That was like a really long intro for Cameron. For real, right? <laughs> he never gets to go first, and then I don't think he ever will again. <laughs> I feel like I got a life just, story. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. We threw him into the spotlight. He had no idea what to do. Exactly. I was, you know, it was like, it was a tap dancing for time, right? Like those people that are on the news. They're like, oh, um, uh, yeah, the the guy, the robbery was over there. And and, hi, mom. Uh, My sister back home in Kansas. Uh, That's like what Cameron was doing. I got a tell interesting story. If Cameron was a newscaster, you'd definitely be the boom goes the dynamite guy. So (laughs) (laughs) I love that guy. Yeah, it's like. See. I, I couldn't be a newscaster when I when I was giving tours out. Neither could the, he. <laughs> well, I would always tell people, I've got a face for 
Oh no, I messed it up. I got a face for I got a face for radio and a voice for silent film. That's why I tell my guests. Oh that's my just God. that's just a double whammy against yeah. yourself. Yeah, exactly. That's Ooh. that's what that was the point. Did you also have he's, like he's like, like <laughs> he's like now watch me run myself over with this cart. Yeah. <laughs> and then here we're gonna cry for five minutes. <laughs> Folks, I am a poor man. Any donations will help. During oh that fountain over there is filled with my tears. That's how it. That's how it worked. I made more was, money on tips than I did getting paid for my job there. It was cutthroat over there. You got to do what you can. Damn. Literally anything. So. We are will we we will be discussing. Oh, that was fun. Wait, wait, are you on your eighth whiskey sour? Yeah, I'm, I didn't. R2-D2. Yeah. This isn't actually water that I'm drinking. It's just vodka right out of the jug. Oh, nice. um, but we will be discussing the Tarantino film Once Upon a Time dot 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 in Hollywood this mm. week. But before we get started, Joel, you always have a fun little question to kick us off. I do. Thank you. Sorry, yeah. I thought I thought there was going to be a little bit more to that. No, that was the other. There. No, the other Joel has a question <laughs> yeah. this time. Um, yes, I do. So uh, with this one, we're you know, the film takes place in 1969. We're getting to see the way Hollywood was back then, everything. So I wanted to ask you guys uh, and girl, what era <laughs> of Hollywood would you want to go back to and and get to see? Feeling like inclusivity, I feel it. Thank yeah, you. yeah. We're trying to, you know, Logan. Why don't you go first, Logan? I, yeah, I wanted to throw it to you first. Sure. Um, I guess I'd say I don't want to go back in time. I didn't have rights. <laughs> <laughs> And I wasn't in movies. It's also true. I guess if I could choose a time in Hollywood to go to, I would choose some future realm. It's a good call. Actually. Yeah, once COVID is over. Yeah, we're, we're all you know, normal. I would that, get cast. Was that answer allowed? Is that allowed? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I Can said I when. I said when in Hollywood would you like to go, and she said the future. So yeah. I, I, I'll take that. Cameron, how about you? I'm kind of with Logan. I, like after COVID is done, and like the, like I want to see where the film industry is going. You know, I mean, I guess if I had to go back to a time, maybe specifically around 2012, because that's when they were making Interstellar. That's when the Mayans were saying the world was going to end too. It's so specific. I <laughs> May 2012. Yeah. Yeah, but exactly. if you, Cameron, if you that's go when back, I graduated high school. If you go back before that, you can be in the movie 2012. But oh. I don't know. No one wants to be in that movie. <laughs> wow. People how who are in, the, in that you. movie don't want to be in that movie. Uh, excuse you. That's a great disaster film. All disaster okay, films so are great. Okay, so now we understand yeah. why this movie ended up uh, on our podcast instead of 2012. Why? What are you trying to say? Well, Logan liked 2012. No offense. That's a terrible movie. <laughs> I mean... I mean, we'll to, to each their own. Yeah. What ex- yeah. what expectations do you have when you go into Actually, I get to choose the next movie, and that was the movie I was going to choose. That's not true. That's, that's not, not true. That's, that's not true. true. <laughs> Ryan, where where would you go in time in Hollywood? I didn't know the future was going to be an option. That's a really good answer. Um, if you but all I'll, pick a future, see, I swear. See, no. Logan, yeah, you're, you're you guys, outsmarting the question. No, no, yeah. no. The thing that I did it for is because I would prosper then. You That's guys true. are probably going to prosper less. We're moving in different directions. It's a good point. She's right. So um, go to the past. Right. The, That's um, your time, guys. <laughs> That's right. The role it's your time of the, to shine. The white male is finally being put to I think, death. I feel like a lot of the good stuff was made in the 80s. Oh, uh, yeah. I feel, I feel like the, 80, the 80s is always like known as like the peak for like modern cinema. Mm-hmm. I think I would just want to go there and just get started on this 
career of or whatever you want to call what we're all right. doing right now get started a little earlier i feel and like I, you'd be good at the the super bad era like you'd be like a really funny tall jonah hill i would i could take that thank you that was so nice a, of you a I, tall I, skinny I, jonah see, hill the the tall, issue skinny. with this question is you guys are all much older than i am that's how not does that make it, how does that, first of all how does that make a difference with this question at all well because yeah. i don't know any eras of hollywood other than like Oh, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I forgot. I know every era. I, I, yeah, we're I can't, film majors. Yeah, I can't talk about Joel the 1950s is. film. I, speaking of Joel, what's your answer gonna be? Um, <laughs> I think I would pick like the 30s, just oh, because, okay. like, just because of the way film was back then like the way they actually had to go about making the films you know everything was practical and stuff but i guess it would be like and this is me questioning my own question am i going back with like the knowledge i have now like am i literally taking a time machine because if that's the case then yeah the 30s for sure you're just gonna because... go make you're gonna go make star wars when you're like <laughs> no, when you're 60 like, years Yo, old yeah it's like the movie yesterday but with film no no more so for the fact that i could be like oh like appreciate that like oh this is so much different than what we see now as opposed to like if i just existed back then i'd be like oh shit yeah this is how they make the movies all right <laughs> You would go back in time with knowledge to watch movies. Yeah, watch movies. Be, yeah, just yeah. I guess you don't want to just go back in time and hear how Charlie Chaplin talks. Just want to hear what his voice yeah. sounds like. None of us actually picked the era of the '60s. You know who might pick that era? Rick Dalton, and that takes us into our film "Once Upon a Time in Hollywood." So, Logan, you picked "Once Upon a Time in Hollywood." as yeah. the film for us to discuss this week. And in your introduction that all of our audience heard, you said, it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> why don't you elaborate a little bit more on that for us? Uh, I have a couple reasons why it sucks. Some are personal, so I don't know if you want me to get into them. Yeah, go for it. Uh, my car got towed during this film. I know oh. this story, yeah, I know this story. So, this is a good one. ultimately, hate it, because if it was shorter, my car wouldn't have gotten towed. Tell the story. People love people. That's a great story. My story. Well, I wanted to go see this film at the Cinedome because that's what people in Hollywood do when they are trying to enjoy a flick. They try to immerse themselves because it was in the movie. So I went with my friends. I parked on the street and then I was, you know, betrayed by the L.A. sign systems. <laughs> um, I didn't read it correctly, I guess. There was a tow away pedestrian tow away for 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. The only times I was in the theater. Um, Wait, what time did you see the film? 12. We saw it at 12 midnight, and it went till 2 2.30. So 30 minutes, come out, my car's towed. It's getting up there. It's not even my car. It's my parents' car. And it's oh, a Tesla. Yeah. Oh, so what are you worried about? It's a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> I can't afford that. That's their problem. And so it's on the thing, and the guy's like, well, you got to go to the junkyard. I'm like, I'm going to pay for it to get taken off right now. I got to take these people home. I brought them here in this Tesla to show them Hollywood. And I paid for it, and it really sucked. I cried I'm in the Tesla on the way home. What a poor person story. Well, at least uh, you didn't have to worry about driving through teary eyes because the Tesla could just drive itself, right? So. We don't have that model. Oh. You know what would be, inter you know be interesting? If a car got towed, how much they charged you to get it back to, was based on how expensive the car was. That would suck. Yeah, could you imagine? Like, terrible. <laughs> no, I didn't say it was a good concept, but it saved just be interesting. It would work for me. Well, you don't drive, so. No, but my car doesn't drive cheap. anywhere. You have a 1960s hatchback. We'll just, you know what? We'll pay you to take this off of our hands. Cameron's like, hey, Joel, you want to go to uh, to Texas? You can drive. Like that's like that's what hanging out with Cameron is like. <laughs> okay, all right. 
I, I need to go get food. You want to give me a ride? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you but said I you had this film. Yeah, you had multiple reasons. What are some other ones? Uh, my other reason is that basically this movie is just like celebrity catch them all. It's like Love Actually, but for <laughs> dudes. It's just like, oh, there's this guy and that girl and this girl, and the story's kind of intertwined, and then there's a happy ending. It's even worse when you look back on what some of the people that weren't well-known when it came out, what they're doing now. And it's like, it's even more of a, oh, this person, oh, that person, that person. It's like, I was looking at the cast list doing some research for this. It's like 30, 35 people that I'm like, I've heard of these people before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just such a money, like how much money did it cost to get Lena Dunham in that one scene where she says like, hey, as girl number three, (laughs) what's the purpose of that? They brought in Maya Hawk just to steal the car. Yeah. <laughs> just in that one scene. She did great. She stole the car very well. She did. She did a great job. Um, <laughs> we'll get even deeper into everyone's thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But first, we're going to head to our synopsis portion of the episode. We're going to go over some quick beats, get you started on the film before we go in a little further. Former big-time television star Rick Dalton is heading for the downturn of his career, and he is having a hard time dealing with it. Thankfully, he has his trusted friend and stuntman, Cliff Booth, to keep him in line during these trying times. These feelings only get tougher on Rick when Hollywood starlet Sharon Tate moves in next door. Together, Rick and Cliff traverse through an ever-changing Hollywood landscape. So that'll get you started on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And this was actually a pretty popular film, both amongst critics and the audience. Critics had this sitting at an 85% which is the highest rating we've had so far out of any of our movies. So this would be really interesting to discuss that. Joel, do you think the critics kind of nailed this one for this movie? I personally do. I really enjoy this movie. I wouldn't say I necessarily love it. I actually walked out of the theater a bit disappointed the first time I saw it. Um, But in the last six months, I'd say not even, I'd say in the last year, I've probably seen this movie four or five times. Um, just because it's been on my TV, and the more I saw it, the more I saw it, the more I uh, came to love it. So I Are you think okay? <laughs> I think the that's critics like fourteen hours. <laughs> that's, I, a lot of, that's a lot. I think the critics uh, understood what Tarantino was trying to make of this film and scored it based on that, as opposed to scoring it as a film what itself. It if that makes sense. What it was. <laughs> right. Yeah. The film it was. I mean, yeah. The critics kind of. Like I said, one of the most popular ones we've seen. Audiences not too far behind on that, sitting at about 70%. Cameron, do you think there's any particular reason why maybe audiences didn't enjoy it as much as the critics did? I'm actually going to go... This might actually be kind of not what you guys think I'm going to say about this movie. Um, I'm actually with agreeance with Logan uh, for this movie. Um, I don't like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I don't like don't get me wrong i don't like i i don't think this movie sucks like i don't think it sucks i just don't think it's i don't think it's good like i it's it is overlong it needed a lot of, it's 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 very it's, much it's 2 hours and 41 minutes overlong exactly it's very it's i mean it's literally quintina quintina <laughs> quintina <Jesus. laughs> it's queen, queen latifa Quentin and and Tarantined by written directino. (laughs) Making the most, uh, it's so masturbatory. Like I, like, I'm sorry. There's no other way to put it. This movie just, it just, it it literally is so self. It's, it doesn't have any self-awareness at all. It is very self-celebratory. 
um it, 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 i don't know if that i didn't see that it's either. so funny that you say that because one of the main reasons i love this film is for the and I, I just said like i don't love it like five minutes ago uh is for the same reason that i love la la land like the fact that it's like celebrating are you, LA. are you kidding me are you kidding me we're like 15 minutes in you're i know already bringing yeah up la i know la land. i know it wasn't cameron this time but no they, uh, these i know cameron's gonna disagree but at the heart of the films, they're they're very comparable because they're celebrating. Yeah, they have their stories that are running through them, but really they're celebrating L.A. They're celebrating Hollywood, and they're celebrating the, the industry, you know. And I loved that about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I loved everything that it was doing, and that's why I'm saying is I think the critics knew that Tarantino was just trying to write this, you know, as cheesy and cliche as it is, this love letter to Hollywood, as opposed to trying to make some great film. It felt more like a love letter to himself, though. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I feel what like most of, his mo- most of his movies feel that way, that he's what kind of... What about Hollywood is Charles Manson? What about <laughs> but Hollywood? That's, but that's the thing, is this is the era of Hollywood that he grew up in. So it's, it's like a look back at... Like you guys are saying, it feels very much that it's a love letter to himself. It's more of a love letter to the era of Hollywood that, that he grew up with. These are all shows and actors and, and people and events that took place during his younger days and the things that formed him into the person that he is today. So this is more of him almost thanking and, and looking back like a retrospect, like hey, this is why I am who I am today because of these people, these filmmakers, these TV shows. I grew up on Sharon, uh, Sharon, Sharon Tate's Tate. feet, on her yeah, feet. See, see, <laughs> right. Joel, that's, I... But Sharon Tate, who never ever has one line in the whole film, and she's oh just seen yeah. walking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's play Margot Robbie a shit ton of money to have her excitedly watch her own film and then have no dialogue. I And see, that's another, re- that's another thing I agree with. Like, Quentin Tarantino's all like he always has issues with being misogynistic in his films and this movie doesn't do anything to fix it. He's, there's more fixation on characters' feet than on women's feet than the characters themselves. Like and that's an issue. I almost yeah. felt like he did that this in in this movie particularly. I almost felt like he did it like for the memes. Like I he knows he knows that people say all that stuff, and I feel like this time he was like, "Yep, I'm just gonna be but completely over with it." But that's ridiculous filmmaking, though. But so but Cameron, stupid. but Cameron, who cares? Who cares, Cameron? Eighty three percent of critics didn't care, so 85. why does it matter? Eighty five. Oh my gosh, who are those critics, though? No, uh, trust me, trust me. I I don't read exactly... critics. I don't care about reviews. I don't care what people think yeah, of a movie. Yeah. What matters is what I think of a movie for me, right? And what matters for you guys is what you think of a movie. Right, so we're all gonna have opinions. We're gonna argue and that's about what we're whatever, talking and that's about. Fine. Logan no, exactly. doesn't like it. No, I know. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's yeah. exactly what I'm saying. I, I don't know. It, it's well, you can't say well, you can't say well. Who cares? Because why would we have a podcast? You know, if like <laughs> if no, like that's why we're talking about it. Because because I care that he's you know got stupid feet in his movie. And it's so like, hey, I'm putting how feet d- in my movie because I'm Quentin dare, Tarantino. How dare but, but you that, disrespect Margot that, Robbie's feet oh like that's that. more. That's more what I'm getting at is like you're right you have the total right to be like wow i don't i don't like all these feet in my movie but you know what (laughs) quentin tarantino also has the right to be like this is going to be four hours of my feet on the screen and i'm about to win every major academy award for it and then i'm going to show up to cameron's house and show him but he didn't that's the thing 
But I honestly don't think he cares. But people called him out for this movie. That's the difference between this and previous Quentin Tarantino movies. I'm trying to figure out if we're talking about the same director because you keep saying somebody different. Like, like next one is like Quentin Tortellini. Like, I, I don't know who you're talking about. Is they act, critics actually did call him out for this. I, you know, I love Inglorious Bastards. That is one of my favorite movies ever. It's really this good. This feels like a very, very different movie. And not just in because it's different it's a different tone but the filmmaking itself feels a lot more amateur and once upon once upon jesus christ i cannot fucking pronounce this tonight <laughs> he's once so on, rattled <laughs> once upon a time in hollywood the filmmaking feels so amateur because it's so much exactly what logan was saying it's so much about him rather than the characters that he's written yeah, but I mean, like, even as a woman watching movies, most movies don't pass the Bechdel test, right? This Not one really. I wrote, I had one note, and it just said Bechdel test and then a big X, and then I talked about all the other things. Because if I'm watching a movie as a woman, I already know. It's not going to really be for me. Especially when the m- especially when the setting is 1960s Hollywood. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I knew that going in. I was probably going to see like a woman and she was going to be dancing on a sidewalk. And what did I see? A, a lot of them. Dancing on a, a sidewalk lot of them. with no purpose. With, but- with they had pickles or or they an under and, bread. Or an underage, and they were digging in trash. Or an underage girl offering to suck off Brad Pitt in the car like come <laughs> on, like you know, it's just it's like it literally is Quentin Tarantino. Oh my god, that I had. It's literally QT's dream. This movie, you know, but that's the movie what sucked. Sa- like the movie that's, itself was just terrible. That's what he used to say, though. Not that it sucked. He didn't used to say that. <laughs> he used to say that like this movie was like his ideal film to make because he's always wanted to make a film about 1960s Hollywood. The thing that bothers me, and I don't dislike this film as much as you two do. I'm I'm kind of right in the middle of everybody. The thing that bothers me with this film is that his depiction of 1960s Hollywood did it have to also incorporate the Manson family in it. Like Yeah, what the I fuck? I feel like because I agree when when they first started promoting this film, the way they promoted it, the very first thing that came out was it is a story set in Hollywood to the backdrop of the Manson family. Right. So, And I remember thinking that the Manson family was going to be a much bigger part of it. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, okay. Like, this wasn't really what I was expecting. Now, I don't know if I don't – I don't know if I dislike what he did or not. I think it came more down to me. Like, I was expecting more out of it, so that's why I was a little disappointed with it. Whereas if I went to it, into it kind of blind and not knowing the Manson family was even going to be part of it – how would I have thought of it? I may have even liked it less, you know, because like, like you said, why was that necessary? You know, did that have to be part of it or could, what could we have gone elsewhere? Um, I feel like it was like his easy route for him to find a villain per se to be in the film. You know? Well, the ending is cool. Like the ending with the Manson, you know, getting a can mm-hmm. of soup thrown in your face or whatever. That was that hilarious. Was. That's Love so it. Dog cool. food, dog food. Yeah. But yeah. why the fuck was Dakota Fanning in this movie? Why the fuck did we go in a house and I'm thinking, why are there all these women here? And Dakota Fanning comes out? Who well, the, the same fuck th- does Dakota Fanning think well, she is? Well, it's the same thing with Lena Dunham in the movie. Like, she just comes out yep. of this, like, outhouse in, like, a massive, like, gown. Like, she was just baptized. Yeah. And she has, like, two lines of dialogue. 
and then she's just in the background the whole rest of the time. Like, I want to, yeah. I want to touch on that later. The actual like Manson family members, because if we go through the cast, it's like it's a who's who of people. Mm-hmm. Is it Maya to the Hawk in this movie? She's one of them. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's Maya Hawk is in there. There's a. I'm. We will go through them because it's actually really funny. A lot of the people that show up in this. Um, Joel, I want to stay with you on this because you seem to be the one that's maybe defending Quentin a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's a good director? Anyway, Logan, what did you want to? T- no, I'm just kidding. Um, but the I reason think- the reason I the reason I asked that is because I looked at his Oscar nominations. Mm-hmm. He's got screenplay and best writing. Uh, he's got let's see, five no four. four f- so for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Django, uh, Inglorious Bastards, and for Pulp Fiction, he has uh, writing screenplays, two of which he won for. For Django and Pulp Fiction. He only has one, no, two director category nominations for all of his movies. Pulp Fiction in 95 and in 2020 with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But he feels like he's on this level in, like, the spectrum of Hollywood that he is, like, a top-tier director. I definitely think he thinks more of himself than maybe he is. Um, And that's coming from someone who really enjoys his films. I really do enjoy what I've seen of his movie. I think there's maybe three or four that I haven't seen of his films. Um, I think he's just unapologetically himself. And that's what have his, that's what leads his films to stand alone is that you're seeing this. And if I didn't tell you, you could watch it and know it's a Tarantino movie. You know, it's like Scorsese, you know, Scorsese has such a distinct style. You and, just and, you just have you just have to look at the runtime to know if it's a Scorsese movie. Yeah, it's like oh, this movie's five and a half hours with three yeah. intermissions. Yeah, um, but you know what I mean? Like, because even like there was a point in time where Spielberg was kind of in that that same realm where it's like oh, you could just watch it and know it's a Spielberg film. You know, in his yeah. earlier days, but you see his stuff nowadays, and it's completely different. Whereas you look at Tarantino in every single one of his films. You can you can watch that film and just know right away. I definitely got the Spielberg feel when I didn't watch the BFG when it yeah, came out. Yeah, you so. know, I, I was hyped on that because it literally – everyone involved in that movie was just the people who, who made E.T. And I was like, this is going to be phenomenal. And then I started seeing stuff, and I was like, uh. Logan, Logan, do you know what the BFG stands for? A uh, big fucking giant. That's, that's pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really close. Yeah. It's the big friendly giant. Oh, well, but I call I it the, the wrong way. Yeah, I call it the big fucking giant because it's just much better. <laughs> I actually really like Quentin Tarantino. Like I like almost all of his films that I've seen of him. I think he's a really good director with one certain shot. His long take shots are what makes mm. his films above. Mm. So like when you're watching Inglorious Bastards and the first scene of the film, that's like a long take that's one shot the ta- for the that's actors. The ta- that's the table scene, right? No, not the table scene in the bar. It's when the girls underneath... Yeah, no, the, the one where when Christoph Waltz goes and like just talks yeah, to yeah. that one guy, it is in his like hut or whatever he's in. Yeah, yeah, and his one t- I can appreciate that as an actor myself. It builds emotion and mm-hmm. and stakes when you keep the scene running, and it is intense, and the audience feels it, and it's incredible. So that's what makes Tarantino films what it is, because you know we're going to this climactic moment where you're gonna get a can thrown in your face, but it sucks in this movie that it takes two hours and 15 minutes to get to that climactic moment of a one take scene doing that. Mm. And the rest of the scenes in this film make no fucking sense <laughs> with the character. I don't care about Cam. I, I want Cam. I want to Joel, you go first and Cam. No, go ahead because it was, mine was going to kind of be a question. So, so go for okay. it, Ryan. Cam, I want to throw it, throw this question to you as well, but I want to throw a little caveat on it. Do you, where do you stand on Tarantino? Not as a director, but as a writer. I think Tarantino is a very talented writer, and he's very good. Um, I think 
some of his screenplays like a lot of people aren't a huge fan of hateful eight i think that's the best one of the best i I, it's the best storytelling that he's ever done happens in hateful eight he tells some really interesting stories i think that's i think that's where i think that's where his style of directing is best showcased as well because it's like logan said it's like just long takes of dialogue yeah that is my favorite tarantino film hands down i think it's i think it's either either that one or django for me like i said inglorious bastards for me is hands down the best uh, because there are just like you go through and you watch inglorious bastards Every single scene in that movie is so ridiculously tense. I mean, it is insane. You never get a break while watching that movie. His bouts of dialogue are just insane. You like Logan was saying, you have it starting off at the farmhouse, you know, with the you know, the glass of milk, right? Like, um, you know, of course you have the scene when they're in the underground bar. Um, you know, and these are, you know, these are scenes with like 20, 30 minutes of dialogue and there's tension from the very, very, very beginning of the scenes because what Tarantino does best is he creates this kind of threat of violence, right? Where violence is always a possibility and you know that the scenes can always crescendo with a violence and we know that Tarantino does violence very well. The issue with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is that there are almost no stakes throughout the entire thing. And then we get to the ending and then we have those stakes, but the buildup doesn't match the ending. And that's the big issue I have here, because when it comes with writing, I saw you. I saw that, Ryan. I saw you (laughs) you smirk at that. I agree Um, with you. The issue that we have here is that we have two hours and 15 minutes of one movie and then 30 minutes of a completely different movie. I agree. And yeah. as a writer, because you're asking me as a writer. As a writer, yeah. That is that is a no-go. You've written two movies where they don't miss they, – they completely don't work with one another. And so I think this movie, from a writing perspective – as a whole is a failure. Now those two movies separate from each other, I think are interesting movies, right? Rick Dalton's, especially the scene where, uh, you know, he's doing the acting with the little girl, the writing that I, during that scene is fantastic. I, I think that's the best scene in the movie. Yeah. It's yeah. It, I, I agree. That is the best scene in the movie and it's really good writing. The issue is as a whole, it doesn't connect. I also think it's the best scene in the movie because I think he's the of the like let's call them three main characters even though it's really just two. Um, I would argue that Rick Dalton's story, separate from the other characters, is the most interesting story. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah, because yeah. it's an actor who's struggling with the idea that he is past his prime and he's mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to stay afloat in Hollywood and it's just ripping him apart on well, the inside. Yeah. Every time the camera went away from Leonardo DiCaprio, I was just yeah. waiting for it. To, I was just waiting for him to come back into the which is story. Which is, which is weird to say considering Brad Pitt won an Oscar for this role. Well, I actually walked out of the theater and I was talking to some friends about it and I said, I loved everyone's performance. Brad Pitt's going to win the Oscar. I knew Leo wasn't going to get it because Brad Pitt to me, and I know this is going to be very like against probably what you guys think brad pitt to me was the best actor in the film (laughs) i i walked out of there and i was i was so impressed with brad pitt in the film more so than leo and i loved leo's performance but i walked out of there i i knew right away i said brad pitt just nailed that that he's gonna get the best supporting actor 
the little you, girl was the best actor. In oh, no, she's – yeah, she is. Don't you think that maybe this role – and I could be wrong. I still don't know that if I what I think about this question I'm going to ask you. Don't you think he was kind of just playing Brad Pitt in this movie? Yeah. Oh, my God. Does he do nothing as an actor in this film? Except he didn't eat in this one that much like he normally does. <laughs> no, he just built a fucking roof for 30 minutes. Excuse you. He was, fi- fixing he was fixing the satellite. He was fixing the satellite dish. Who cares? Yeah, you talk you talk about writing where he he looks off into the the distance or whatever and he has a flashback and then he goes back to after it's done he goes back to working on the roof and he makes a comment about it. I mean, come on, that's so ch- it's uh, I don't yeah, I don't like every, it. And every... I completely disagree. I loved that. I loved that whole bit because it's just like here is this here are these two guys that you know they may be at the end of their heydays and for brad pitt's character specifically cliff he's looking back on these old times like ah yep you know he's right not gonna get away with that one again he's looking <laughs> yeah, back when on i these killed memories, my wife like, <laughs> which we don't which we don't know that's not confirmed we don't know that he killed his wife it's just thrown there we don't know if he killed natalie wood we don't well, know for what sure what was the point of that flashback where he his wife is like clearly dead in the water my thing is there's so no, many she's moments. not we never see the wife dead is there's... she play is she playing natalie wood no a lot of people a lot of people rumored that because if you listen to her dialogue she goes here i am on this stupid boat my sister said natalie don't go blah 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 blah. and everyone was like oh it's supposed to be natalie wood blah, 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 but it's that's not confirmed okay logan what were you gonna say um there's so many moments in this movie where there's like a storyline where my ears would perk up when i would stop staring at the carpet in the movie theater i was in <laughs> and then they would just immediately cut away so i'm like thinking and i'm sitting there i'm like oh this rick dalton guy like he's a washed up actor who's trying to make his way in and then i get 30 minutes of him being a fake cowboy and then it goes into brad pitt and he's he almost killed his wife holy fuck let me see this i want to know who this wife is oh no no wait let's just go to a montage of him fixing a satellite not a roof a satellite and there's like a whole bunch of music playing and then there's a bunch of cool shots of him driving in cars and getting drunk this could have just been the fourth cars movie honestly like they spent so much time in that cadillac like, I love it's, it. It's basically uh-huh. another. It's basically another. It the Cadillac. Which character is more important in this movie, the Cadillac or Sharon Tate? Who knows? Sharon Tate's husband, her boyfriend. They got more screen time than her. Oh, which yeah, one? Which Roman one? The hu- which, wait, wait, which one? The husband or the boyfriend? <laughs> Speed racer. Speed racer. <laughs> Excuse <laughs> you. That is Alex. Uh, uh, Chris McCandless to you, Alexander Supertramp. Again, Sharon Tate has an amazing story that I would love to hear more of, but instead I got. Roman Polanski drinking coffee on a small table for like five minutes. Hey, he played with a dog. There was some action there. So boring. I don't know how. It's so boring. Well, he at least he was getting some action on like the weird best friend, Jay or whatever, that lives in their house. He lives in their house with them. And that Steve McQueen's telling the story about like their relationship. And it was like, um, yeah, they were dating. She went to go shoot a Polanski film. He she comes back married to Roman Polanski and this Jay Sebring guy is just like cool. You guys need a roommate <laughs> and Steve yeah, McQueen what was and then party? St- but then Steve McQueen's reason behind it was like oh well yeah when when Polanski screws this up Jay's just gonna be there ready to go. I was like that's really weird. Like it's real it's <laughs> weird motives to do that. But okay and yeah that party scene was that party scene was so out there. I feel like that scene was literally only done to give Damian Lewis a good scene of dialogue as Steve McQueen. Well, I think too, like you got how most of the movie is. You got to imagine like not everyone that's going into this movie is aware of, you know, 
th- that dynamic of Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski and Jason oh, and stuff like that. You know, so I think it was more thrown in there as an exposition type thing, but they used the Playboy Mansion and all that stuff to show this is where they are in their career. You that know? was the real. It, that was the real Playboy Mansion, by the way. Yeah, yeah. If if Rick Dalton were the actor that he thought he was still was. He would have been at that Maybe party. he would have been at that party. Yeah. You know instead, what I mean? Instead, so he it, was sit, sitting on his pool floaty rehearsing lines. Exactly. So it, yeah. it's giving us the exposition, and it's showing us that separation of Sharon Tate on her way up, Rick Dalton kind of on his way back down. Well, we're going to— actually showing Sharon Tate on yeah. her way up. But, you know, this did work for a lot of people at the box office particularly because opening weekend, this film made just over $41 million on a $90 million budget. Uh, domestically, it grossed out at 142.5 million. Then worldwide totals brings the entire total of the box office to 374.3 million dollars. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting, and Joel, I want to throw this one to you. Did this movie make a mistake releasing in the summer? Because it came out July 26, 2019. Should this have been like an Oscar? I know they still got nominations and wins at the Oscars, but should that been in like the October, November, December range, like most Oscar films are? I think so, but not necessarily for awards. I think this. I think it won as many as awards as it was going to win. Maybe more than it was supposed to win. It got two. Um, it got two. Yeah, right. It, it won. Uh, uh, Screenplay set, uh, and scre- supporting actor. Best supporting right? actor. No, I don't. I think. I think it was a, an art department. Uh, uh, Did award he not win? I thought one. no. He definitely won for screenplay for this one. No, it was it was best performance, supporting role, and production design. Maybe I just had the nominee for this one. Um, I think he did get nominated, though. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think, though, it still should have come out more of it, an award season-type film. It just feels like that type of film to me. Again, I, I, I not that I expected it to I go disagree. and win awards, but it feels like that type of film. I don't think this is a, a summer film. I disagree. When should they have released it? Do you think they picked the right I think time the, for I it think a summer. I think a summer release was good for it. Don't they you shouldn't think it, have. They shouldn't have released it. Just don't make it. <laughs> Well, no, I don't. I, think I don't remember. A... This was 2019. I'm trying to remember like what were some of the other summer films. Oh, like, I remember. It... See, because this was right after I moved. This was literally a month after I moved to Los Angeles, and this was when I was brand new in Los Angeles. Uh, didn't know anyone. Um, was you know just starting the just starting my new job, and I still had like the dream of being in LA, you know. And one of the coolest things for me moving to LA was going to the movie theater in the city where they made these movies and like that for me you know someone who grew up in northern california was kind of like always like the dream so i remember going and seeing once upon a time in hollywood opening night and i was so excited for it and it did feel like a summer movie i i it it felt like something like my theater was completely full now granted it was in burbank and you know uh you know hollywood loves movies about hollywood don't forget Um, we don't forget we love burbank on this podcast so I lo- no, I, I'm not going to talk crap about Burbank. We can't see Burbank. Cameron today. His camera's or his camera's not working, but he's probably wearing a shirt that says Burbank on it. That's right. Uh, I, per that's the right. norm. I forgot I ta- how much I talk about how much I love Burbank. Um, but yeah, no, like uh, this this was a movie that felt because Tarantino, as much as you know, I was talking maybe poorly about. I let me make it clear. I think Tarantino is a good director. I think he's a good writer. I think he's a little overrated, um, but he's very good. But he has a following that people who don't typically watch movies, they'll go see a movie for Quentin Tarantino because he kind of makes like the movie, like the the film bros movies. He makes those kind of movies, you know. 
That's a good point. Do you, so are you saying that um, – I'm saying it's the you, perfect summer movie. I think I, so, it's – Right. So you're saying that do you think if it had released around Oscar time, it would have made less money? Yeah, I do. I think summer was a perfect – because watching it feels like a, it feels like a summer like I can't I legitimately can't imagine watching this movie at a time that wasn't like I can't imagine going to the theater in a time that wasn't the summer for this movie like I know that sounds weird but it doesn't feel like a typical Oscar movie like like it, it I mean it felt like Quentin Tarantino was trying to win an Oscar with it but it didn't feel like a typical quote unquote award season movie yeah because it wasn't good <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll, but the th- well, the thing is, the reason why I probably won like two Oscars is because it wasn't released then. And if you think about it, if you put enough star-studded people in things, their performances are going to outweigh the movie itself. Leonardo DiCaprio did a really good job acting in this film. Yep. Brad Pitt was Brad Pitt. People like Brad Pitt. There's three Oceans movies with Brad Pitt in it playing Brad Pitt. So yeah, the, we all love those movies. They're you great. think back on it and you're like, oh, for the Oscars. Yeah, probably. Let's put in that movie that put in every actor in Hollywood in it with no story and give them something. No, it, I mean, it kind of checks out. And this is a good time potentially for us to transition into the cast. Joel, though, before we do that, I just um, what do you think would have happened to this movie if it had come out around the Oscar if it if it had come out around the Oscar season do you think it Oscar nominations would have gone a little bit higher do you think it would have grossed more money what do you think would have been the massive benefit overall from doing this honestly like I'm not sure so my answer in terms of if I think it should have come out at a different time is a little bit more personal because like I think mostly about movie theaters in the fall and I know that sounds weird because a lot of people would think of movie theaters for like the summer, you know, big summer blockbusters, stuff like that. But for me, I see most of my movies probably from like August to January is when I'm in the theater the most. And of course, because that's award season. Yeah. And I finished watching this and I felt like, oh, like I would have loved to have walked out of the theater and it be that time of year and being able to compare this with all the other movies that are going to be running for the Academy Awards. You know, oh, just last week I saw this. Oh, next week I'm going to see this. I'll be able to kind of compare and contrast these a little bit better. Whereas with it coming out in the summer, you know, it's like, oh, I saw this months ago. How does this compare? Now, I don't know if it would have made it, if it would have helped it out in the Oscars run because this, if had this come out closer to like when Parasite came out, I think Parasite would have just blown it out of the water even more. You know, I, I don't think Parasite was really going to be stopped by much, and moving this closer would have probably just been a detriment to it, honestly. You know what You know what probably helped it a decent amount? I just looked up what the other releases in the summer of 2019 were. It is not pretty. The Lion King. Um, yep, that was one of them. Godzilla, King of the Monsters God. came out. Um, Rocket Man came out that summer. Great movie. Uh, I kind of like Rocket Dark Phoenix was that summer. Oof. Um, God, uh, <laughs> What else? What else we have here? I know. I think Detective Pikachu was that summer. Great uh, movie. Men in Black International was that summer. Not a great movie. Child's Play, the Chucky remake. That was um, like September, though, wasn't it? No, it was June. Was it really? Yeah, June. It won an hell? Oscar. Why the hell Oscar, did they actually. release that movie in June? Uh, Toy Story 4 was probably the best movie of the summer. Ugh. God. I would argue. Yesterday came out that summer. I like I like Yesterday a lot. That was a good summer. Oh, and Spider-Man Far From Home was probably oh, the highest grossing film of the summer. Best movie of the summer. Um, and then, yeah, like Cameron mentioned, Lion King. So, uh, honestly, like, if you look at the slate, once upon a time Holly- Zendaya in it. Well, oh, my. <laughs> once, upon, <laughs> once Upon a Time in Hollywood, this is just my opinion, looking at the, it's probably, like, the third best movie out of this group, out of the entire summer. So, 
maybe maybe it worked out okay. Going and that's what I'm saying is I, I Cameron's definitely right here, and that's not something I often say. But All I just time, I, I, I forgot it, it, I forgot the Alorius uh, Hobson Shaw. My apologies to Hobson Shaw. Oh, so now it's the fourth best thing that came yeah, out. That's yeah, my apologies. Um, no, for the sake of the film, it. Sh- I think summer was probably best for it. I personally would have liked this to have been released more award season. You just it, your personal taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it has a lot of things that the Oscars like. Yeah, it's true. It, it absolutely does. But but like yeah. I was saying, I think even had it been released around that time, again, Parasite was just so strong. I don't think it would have changed much. I think right. one thing one thing that helps this is a summer release, and this maybe just again could be my taste. I really like films that are about making films. So that's why I thought that the DiCaprio scenes were the most captivating because it mm-hmm. really just gives you an actual look into Hollywood. Sharon yeah. Tate, Sharon Tate, very successful actress, is not showcased in that way in this film. The only times we ever actually see her doing acting things is when she's training with Bruce Lee um, for the role in the film that she's seeing in the uh, in the Westwood Theater. Other than that, you don't see any acting stuff from her, and that's just kind of where I think her character specifically kind of just falls off. So she's marketed as the third lead in this film, the female lead in this film. And you don't even really get to learn that much about Sharon Tate. The only things you learn about Sharon Tate are her relationship, basically. And there's so much more to that character. And if you're going to weave in the Manson murders and the Sharon Tate story into your story about old time Hollywood. I feel like you need to give that character, the only character of your main cast that is an actual person that existed in this timeline. You need to give her a little more shine. And he didn't do that. And I just think, I think that's really a big issue uh, in regards to this film. I like how you say that. Give her a little bit more shine. Um, (laughs) No, you're totally right there. And this is going to sound counterintuitive, but I almost think what could have made it better if they weren't going to show her more and actually give us a story of her, then we needed to see her less because like you said, she was promoted and kind of shown as like, Oh, she's this third character, but we don't see anything of her. If we want to just use her as this inspiration for Rick, like, Oh my goodness, I'm living next to Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski. Like I need to step up my game and make something out of it. Then cool. We can see her once or twice and let that kind of inspire him. But if we're going to be going back to her over and over again, we need to have more story of her. What if you cut out the scenes of her, the scene of her going to the bookstore and then to the mm-hmm. movie theater, and it's just like the allure of Sharon Tate? Like he sees her when they first drive up in the car, and exactly. Then you, and yeah. then he's in his pool, and you see them leave for the party. And you could even keep the party scene in if you want to, because it tells you a little bit about Sharon Tate. But you don't have to actually like focus on her face in that scene. You could be more about Steve McQueen telling the story. And then you really don't see her again until the end of the movie when she comes on to the speaker mm-hmm. tell, uh, to check on Rick. And that's kind of it for Sharon Tate in this movie. Ryan, I'm, I'm, curious, um, I, I'm curious on Logan's opinion of this because she brought up the Bechdel test earlier. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, um, I, I'd really like to get kind of her point of view on this. Uh, well, when it comes to this, I actually agree with Joelle. If you're going to put a woman in a movie who's significant like Sharon Tate, especially Sharon Tate, she died and her yep. legacy is being murdered. Don't show her face. Keep her ambiguous throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Make it so it's like this thing that you, you're searching for, you're wanting, but you don't actually get. The thing that makes this movie so infuriating to me is that it is something, but it isn't calling itself what it is. Mad Men is so successful because it's like we're sexist, we're homophobic, we're racist because that's what it is in this time, and we're gonna tell a story that is true. We're not gonna it, sugar. We're not gonna sugarcoat it. Exactly. They're not. That's like this weird story where they're like, we're gonna put a bunch of women in here, 
and ha give them these pointless lines and get a high like a a-list celebrity and downplay her role for the for the fuck of it do you fuck think you quentin tarantino <laughs> do, logan I have a, do you think do you think that um uh, sorry do you think that tarantino thought that this movie was feminist I don't know what he thinks. I'm fairly certain from the interviews I've seen of Quentin Tarantino that he does not understand women. I think I see. Oh, I, no, think, I, th I think I see where you're coming from, Cam. And are you thinking like you're thinking that maybe he thought that this was well, a proper portrayal of the character? And, and that's what I'm because we know that Quentin Tarantino has issues with women care like writing uh, writing women right. like we know that so like my question is is do you think and this isn't just for logan obviously you know do you think that quentin tarantino wrote this and thought hey this is a movie that like and i don't know if quentin tarantino was like yeah i'm championing feminism or whatever but do you think that he thought like hey this is a feminist portrayal i think i think it was in a sense um in two terms one because he probably felt like showcasing the women of the manson family was able to give more roles to upcoming actresses in hollywood so he probably thought that that was a good thing that he was doing the second one in regards to sharon tate he went to sharon tate's sister i don't remember her name it might be like deborah tate or something like that he went to her and like basically got her blessing to portrayal for the portrayal of Sharon in this film. Otherwise he wasn't going to have the character in the movie. So mm -hmm. he must've sold her pretty good bail of goods to just be like, Hey, um, we're going to make sure that she's treated properly. Or maybe he just told her, Hey, we're not going to glorify the murder in this movie. It's going to be a different portrayal of her story. So maybe that's maybe to answer your question, I'd like to hear what everybody else thinks about this. Maybe that answers your question. Like maybe he did think he was doing something positive in that regard, but it doesn't mean that he he hit it correctly. He just maybe thought that he was doing that. I think Quentin Tarantino wrote this script and then set it aside and never looked at it again and then picked <laughs> it up and filmed it. I don't think that there's a second thought about anything that goes into this story. Joel, how long was he trying to get this one off the ground? Do we it's it was talked sure. about it was talked about it, for a it, long yeah, time. It, Logan, I agree. It sure is it sure does feel that way when it comes to the editing of this movie. Like they didn't take any they could have cut out a good portion of this movie and just kind of let Tarantino do his thing. How much do you think they could have cut out? Cause it's uh, like I said, two hours and 41 minutes. How, how much could you have cut that down? You gotten down to two hours or no? I mean, probably two fifteen. Uh, I, I watched the seven extra scenes that are on the DVD earlier today. And I would have liked all seven of those three of which were five minutes long. I would have loved all of those in the movie. I, oh I I gladly I and I'm being completely honest here. I'm not trying to be argumentative. Anything about this? This is genuinely how I feel. This movie could have been another hour long, and I would have been completely okay with it. Did anyone else watch the extended scenes? Cameron, did you watch them? I know Logan didn't watch them. No, him. I didn't. Watch I fast them. forwarded through the movie yeah. the second so, time. So they don't give <laughs> they don't give you anything story wise. That's I'll what, tell that's you that what, right that's now. What, that's what I wanted to ask you. Like, is there anything of importance that happens? No, there yeah. there's not. There was which one? There was one that was somewhat like I can't remember which one it was. It was something again with Rick uh, and his acting stuff. Um, but really, no, they don't. They they don't really add anything to the story, but. For me, again, it's just a matter of being in this era and seeing 
the city and, and the industry in that era and the way it was operating and stuff like that. I wanted to see, I would have loved to see more of that. And I could have, like, again, I could have sat there a whole nother hour and watched more. See, some movies earn their runtime. This movie does not earn its runtime. Like, okay, I we talked about Scorsese, and I know for a fact I'll get crap about this. I think The Irishman is one of the best movies I have ever seen. That movie is three and a half hours long. And I, I will go down and say... The way that people talk about The Godfather now, I think that's how they're going to talk about The Irishman come 20, 20, 30, 40 years, okay? I think that movie is outstanding. That is the best movie Martin Scorsese has made. That movie is three hours and 30 minutes long. It earns every single minute of it. I was not bored in a second during that movie. I was checking my watch multiple times during Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This movie did not earn its runtime. See, and this is something that frustrates me a lot, and I'm not specifically picking on you, Cameron. I feels uh, like it. I will go watch a movie, <laughs> and the only time I ever care how long a movie is is if I'm trying to cram it into something like, oh, I know I have to be here at this time. Other than that, I don't care how long a movie is. And I'm tired of people saying, like, really? Because oh, it seemed like you was- said that saving christmas was too long <laughs> yeah that, that was too long but like I, I i'm tired of people being like oh that movie's gonna be three hours like i don't want to go see it like go watch the movie like you won't know yeah there's gonna be movies that it's like oh that was three hours and it felt like three hours sure of course but there's also gonna be movies like you said with irishman which i haven't seen but that may not feel like three and a half hours you know maybe you think oh i could have sat through another hour of that like i feel with this you know but i'm tired of people putting judgments on a film strictly because of its runtime because that shouldn't matter and at the end of the day as much as i may think oh that film probably could have been an hour shorter you know what the director didn't think so so that's their film and that was their choice and i I have to suck it up but that's the whole thing the director doesn't think so if we are criticizing the film we shouldn't care what the director thinks we should be judging it based off of our own understanding of film uh, and how you know how stories are told and how long stories should take to be told and the issue he you have with this one and the reason why it doesn't earn you know its runtime is because like i said earlier you have two hours and 15 minutes of essentially nothing that happens i i logan i don't want to speak for you but would you agree that very little happens in the two hours and 15 minutes before the whole you know uh flamethrower you know brad pitt attack whatever scene yeah, I mean, my thing is, I agree with you, Joel. I don't think any movie should be templated to a timeline. I've seen movies like Brave, like one of my favorite animated movies. Is oh, like, oh. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I love it. I love that. That's great. Uh, excuse me. Sorry, I want to watch a woman in power who doesn't fall in love. Yeah, yeah come it's on, It's a guys. good animated movie come about on, a guys. woman. Fuck you, Joel. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, Joel. Ryan doesn't like Brave either. Don't let him fool you. <laughs> It's like not Brave. terrible. It's not it's terrible. It's a good movie, and it's short, and it's sweet, and it's really easy to watch. If you and had I've the also... chance to change your fate, would you? It's a terrible accent. <laughs> Thank you. I was working out, all, working out all week. I'm sorry. I get it. Stop <laughs> trying to put me down, okay? This... Um, but go I was ahead, make your something. point. So, yeah, yeah, go ahead, make your point. Yeah. Movies, runtimes, they don't matter to me. But the whole point of a movie, correct me if I'm wrong, is to tell a story. Like, we should be able to watch movies freely. They should, they could be short. They could be long. It doesn't matter. But my idea of a movie is something that tells a story. And the story needs to be something that has a, a beginning and an end. That's what a, a movie is in the sense of it. So, for me, if this movie was purely about Rick Dalton, 
It's a good movie. I would watch this movie if yep. it was about Leonardo DiCaprio and his like struggles of dealing with the mm-hmm. stuff that he's actually dealing with. It's actually very interesting. That yeah. one take scene of him where he has a freak out is real and raw, and I'm it's sure great. it happens a lot. It's really Love good it. scene. Yeah. That's but where the, that's where uh, you go. Finish, and I'll I'll jump on. Yeah. It's just the fact that I had to like. There's so many cool shots in this film as well, where I'm sure you know he just had the biggest direction on set and he was just like i have a rock hard boner right now look how good of a director i am doing this shot and then we get into a scene that that does nothing for the plot the plot is so random and convoluted it is worse than love actually it is love actually with no stories combined what are you There's talking? No love. What are you talking about? Well, love actually, you know, love actually is ten stories as one. What are you talking I know. about? Love this... actually did a better job at story weaving than Queen this movie. Tarantino this did. movie didn't. This movie didn't have a guy with cue cards outside of his best friend's apartment trying to seduce his new wife. That no, movie did, this it, movie didn't have this. JC it had a guy that. who murdered his wife, and then all of Allegedly. Leonardo DiCaprio think, just went. Meh. I think. Um, <laughs> I think Logan brings up an interesting point, not just specifically for this movie, but for all movies. Um, does a movie have to have, um, is plot important for how successful a film is in telling, not necessarily a story, but in being an experience? When you say successful, so, you don't mean financially, right? No, no, no. I just mean as, you know, as a piece of art, as you know, coming out of the theater or, you know, thinking, of course, film is object is, you know, art is subjective. But when we think of something as being objectively good or objectively bad, is plot something that is important and necessary? I know Logan's answer um, and her answer is yes. But what about you guys? Do you think that plot is necessary for a film to be objectively critically successful like from an analytical standpoint i'm halfway between what logan said and 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 no because for me at the end of the day and i'm pretty sure i've said this on here before at the end of the day for me a film's job was to entertain me it is absolutely an art form obviously right i believe there should be strong writing in a film cinematography super important direction acting everything but really at the very end of the day film comes down to being a form of entertainment right and not every form of entertainment has to have a story you know like think of like a clown or something right a clown there's no story juggling and falling and slipping whatever squirting people with water guns whatever right there's no story there but you were let you left and you were entertained and i think there are some films out there maybe can't think off the top of my head that don't necessarily have a story or they're not story driven. They're just kind of a bunch of stuff on screen that entertains you and you leave just as satisfied. But when you watch a film like this, I feel like most people are going to want story. Therefore, when you get what we got, you're going to have a lot of people that leave disappointed because I agree with you, Cameron, for the first two hours and 15 minutes, other than Rick Dalton stuff, nothing happens in this movie. Like you're not wrong there. I just really like the nothing that happens. Like I, I just totally embrace everything that happened in this movie as much as it was nothing. This is a good opportunity for us to transition into the characters because the characters are more important than the plot in this film. And there's a couple of them that have very interesting elements that we can discuss. But before we do that, I want to throw to our sponsors real quick. 
so let's kind of go down the line a little bit with some of these characters starting off of course with let's you would say rick dalton's the main character of this movie right i think we would all yeah i think we would all agree with that um we've talked a Uh little bit about like the emotional traumas that he's going through in this film but we haven't really talked about how his how (laughs) his god he has such a hard life yeah, I honestly, he's like, the emotional trauma. No, but let no. I mean, oh, but that's, this man, it's he's true. getting that, old. That's oh what God. they're. But that's Sharon what Tate was murdered. That's what they're going for in the movie, though. That's not me saying that. That's what you they were going it. for. You, yeah. you said it. I, you know what? I did say. All right, pal, I'll go. The, I'll go to the penalty box after this episode. Uh, um, oh but but what I wanted to touch on is his the stuff that we see from his early career. We see that. What was the name of the show again? Bounty Law, right? Bounty Law. Bounty Law. One thing I really liked about his character early on in the film, when he has that like issue where he meets with what's Al Pacino's character's name again? I know his uh, last Sh- name is Schwarz. 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 His last name is Schwarz. He goes to the meeting with Schwarz, and Schwarz basically tells him, um, you know, like he, he basically like puts him in his mind, like, you know, you're not getting cast for the roles that you deserve because at this point. Rick is kind of just getting cast as like a one-off baddie of the week in mm-hmm. network television, and he's losing the fights, and he's done. He moves on. Um, and then when Schwartz tells him, like, you know, you could go to Rome and then go make Italian pictures, he doesn't really take that in all that well. The thing that bothers him about what he was told is that he knows that he's right, that Schwartz is correct about what right. he's saying. And Cliff kind of talks him up to try and say, like, you know, like, you're – you know, you're fine. And then before he goes to set, they have the classic line, you're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't yeah. you forget it. Perfect. Which, which is a great trailer line, of course. Um, but yeah, like Rick, uh, Rick is coming from a weird place of a guy who had the successful show and wanted to move on to films and in the process got his successful, successful show canceled. Which, according to uh, Rick himself, says that a lot of people in Hollywood don't want to cast him now because he did that to his show. Which is funny because nowadays so many actors do that to get their shows canceled. It wouldn't even phase them at this point. But back in who the sixth, um, who was the star of um, what was it Fresh Off the Boat? Who tweeted after the show got renewed? She was like, "Damn it!" Oh, it was um, was it Constance Wu? Yeah, Constance yeah, it Wu. Was Constance yeah. Wu. Yeah. Where she's like, she, "Damn it!" Because she was coming off of. Uh, uh, crazy rich asians yeah exactly yeah um <laughs> yeah um and then she went on to do uh hustlers right she was in yep. that yeah and her yeah. own tv show right does she have her own tv show i thought fresh off the boat was her tv show i could be talking out of my is that show still is that show still on uh, i don't no, think don't so. so randall park is the male lead in that right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, those are two good actors so um but the thing with rick is like he knows that like it's hard for him to get cast because he did that to that show and he's getting the bad parts. So like the real issue with him is just that he, he kind of is leaning towards his career basically being over. Do you think that his character portrayal is done well as supposed supposedly being this struggling actor um, trying to find his way in the new Hollywood? Do you think that that was done well for his character? I think plot is different than story. The stories that are told in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are very, very strong. The stories themselves are strong, especially Rick Dalton's story. It's a very well-written story that I do find interesting. Leonardo DiCaprio does an excellent job portraying this actor who knows that he is on the out 
and he does everything he can to try and grasp to get back into it and get back to the stardom that he once had. So storytelling, excellent. As far as plot goes, it does literally nothing for the plot. But as a character, like a character arc, what does he do to become a better actor? I would argue that he doesn't become a better actor. That's what I'm saying. His character arc is very interesting, but the writing leaves much to be wanted. That's what that's what I was kind of getting at. Is like his character he, arc is interesting, just a but character. do they just he's... not? They don't develop it as well as they kind of lead us to think they're going to. Is more so what I'm trying to ask. Because they spend so much time with all these other convoluted stories, you take this rich character who has a story that I think would be interesting, and we leave him at this end finale where he just for some reason from one scene of a movie with a flamethrower he now has a flamethrower he has to keep it yeah yeah and he kills a poor woman in a pool (laughs) who's clearly not okay she screamed and ran so weirdly for so long yeah to only get flamethrowed in a pool and she's so stupid that she doesn't go underwater for like 30 seconds so my thing is like Besides that, that really irritated me in the movie. <laughs> but do you think that has to do with his character? Why it, like stu- why things irritated you with the character? It doesn't have to do with maybe Leonardo's portrayal of the character. It's just I think he, he wasn't... did a great job. Right. Um, so There's in regards no story. Right. Exactly. So the character itself was. I think it's. I think the character of Rick Dalton is portrayed very well and it's explained really well, but it's not shown as well as it could have. Um, the but I don't. But, but I. But I don't. But I don't know. I don't know where you could have gone with it. The, the only the thing issue. that I can imagine they were trying to like the direction they were trying to take him, and it probably just doesn't read that well and isn't as strong as something else that it could have been. Is he at the very beginning of the movie? We see this kind of proposition to him from you know Marvin Schwartz saying like, "Hey, like you're not where you're going, where you want to be." come over here to Italy and they're going to make you a star of these big, you know, films. And he's, he's too stubborn to do so. He's like, I don't want to go do that stuff. I've seen those. I don't like them. I want to be here in Hollywood doing this. Right. But then he goes and does these bounty law scenes and he does these scenes with the little girl and he sees how phenomenal of an actress this little girl is. And she, or actress, she likes to be referred to. Yeah. Um, how dare, and, how dare you? And she just kicks butt at these scenes and she's just phenomenal. And I think part of it, was him realizing you know what i'm not that actor that i used to be and there's a younger generation that is coming along sharon tate this little girl that are going to take the reins and they are going to be the next strong actors and i need to make way for them so you know what i'm just going to bite the bullet i'm going to swallow my pride and go make these films i forget does does he see sharon tate in anything before like i forget forget like you mean you mean like you mean like her films him seeing a film No, not that no. we see on screen. Okay, that's yeah. why. That's why I thought. Okay, so, but then, yeah. So I guess that's. So the well, only he, intertwining of story was at the very end. Then, yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, which that's why, like, going back to like what Logan was saying earlier, had we never seen Sharon Tate, had she just been kind of this like mystic figure that we weren't aware of, that last scene is even more powerful when he's talking to her through the box, yes. you know, because it's now it's like, yeah. oh, he reached that point where he's made that connection. What can that lead to from here? Right, but also as a fictional character, he does literally nothing to get to that point. Right. This no, would be he... a different story. He's a, so it's it's played up very early on in the beginning. He's an alcoholic. 
His alcoholic ways have led him to a demise in his acting career. His partner, Brad Pitt, has led to his credibility in the movie industry to be questioned through the movies that he's on. And so you see this clear setup of fault to the end arc with nothing changed. He's still an alcoholic. Brad Pitt is still a good friend of him's. He has no character development in the side of, hey, maybe I need to do some self-reflection. The reasons I'm deteriorating as an actor are this, this, and this. Let's go to Italy or Rome and figure it out and come back a better person. Are, are you saying Are you saying that he basically got the reward that he wanted without actually earning he it? He didn't work for it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. technically that is a pretty typical story for yeah. people of that That's time. That's a theme we've seen with movies we've been uh, reviewing lately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Joel, I have an interesting question that I want to pose to you. The Rick Dalton character, he's not supposed to be that great of an actor. Like he's mm-hmm. a, he's a television actor. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get arguably the best male lead actor in the world to play that character. Okay. Like we know. Okay. I said, right. ar- I said, arguably, no. Okay. I said, I All said, right. argue. Uh, said Dwayne arguably. the Rock Johnson is That's the exactly. best actor. All right, my apologies. Was... I'm so excited for the Young Rock TV show. By the way, <laughs> that is a thing that's coming out. Oh that's man, true. looks so good. Do you think, Joel, that they would have been better served getting an actor that is more in line with the type of actor that Rick Dalton was supposed to be, or do you think it doesn't matter because Leo was so good that it was fine? I don't. Yeah, I don't think it matters. I I think it was a good choice to go with with Leonardo DiCaprio. I think he played the role really well. Like I said, I I personally, and I know that, again, I know you guys aren't the only ones that disagree. Everyone disagrees. I liked Brad Pitt's performance better than Leonardo's, but I love Leonardo DiCaprio's performance, and I I don't think it would have... It could have still been great. I think it was a good choice to go with him. I, yeah, I think I, using a, an actor of his of his level was a good choice for that. I agree. I, I agree. Logan, I, just, I, I, just, I just wanted to ask that because, like... In the in the notes that I saw, DiCaprio basically said like he had to dumb himself down to play that character. Mm. So I was curious to see what we all thought. But yeah, I agree. He's what were you thinking, Logan? I have a question for you, actually, Joel. So mm-hmm. with this movie, you're in high regards of wanting to watch it. If there's no story, would you watch this film if the star-studded cast was not in it? Great question. Uh, I probably would. Ha- okay, let me ask you this: Is it still Tarantino? Sure, Tarantino chooses random people on the street to play these characters in old Hollywood. Michael Madsen is playing Rick See, Dalton instead of Leonardo I, DiCaprio. And I, I pro- to be completely honest, I'm not just saying this to be like argumentative. I, I probably would have, and you're you're not wrong. Maybe I wouldn't have liked it as much, but that can also come down to are the performances that strong? You know, if it is okay. just these kind of like random people See, on the street. Uh, but I do think again, I'm a very very nostalgic person. Like I I just love everything that I didn't get to experience, right? And so for me, again, so much of what I loved about this movie was getting to see this fairy tale portrayal of a Hollywood that I'll never know. See, you know. Sorry, I yeah. so I had so I had a conversation with a friend about this actually. Uh and she said if you put any other director's name on this movie, if you had Once Upon a Time directed by or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Directed by McGee. Cameron Tennyson. Oh. This same movie would have been reviewed middle of the pack. 
the reason why this movie was reviewed as highly as it was was because it was a Quentin Tarantino movie with the stars that it had. Not saying that the performances are, but just saying like even if you had unnamed actors who gave performance that were just as good, if not better, the the old the reason why this movie is held as highly regarded as it is is because. It was made by Quentin Tarantino. This movie is nothing special. But I agree with them. This movie is reviewed well because of his name. I don't I, I agree with almost everything you're saying. The one thing I disagree with is that I don't think when people think of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they think about it as a Quentin Tarantino film. I think they think of it as a Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt mm-hmm. movie. I completely disagree with that. Yeah, I, I totally agree because I it really other than the last thirty minutes, like I'm you being guys outvoted said, here. It, it doesn't feel like a Tarantino movie until the end, you know, which is it, it really was kind of bizarre because like you guys were saying, the ending does not match up with anything else that happens in this movie because Cameron put it in, in a good terms earlier. There's always this threat of violence in a Tarantino film, and we really didn't have that. And nothing that we saw in the, the first chunk of the movie really built up to what happens at the end, you know. But if you show people just the end of that and say, oh, who do you think directed this? Yeah, they're going to say Tarantino. You know, but the rest of the film could have been anyone. I think it's actually really interesting because if you think of like a lot of like Leonardo's worked with a ton of great directors, but like The Revenant, I think of it as a Inuritu movie. Uh, Titanic, I think of it as a James Cameron movie. Um, uh, the Departed, I think of it as a Scorsese movie. Mm-hmm. This one, wow, like, that's I, very I, sexist of you, Ryan. There's a lot I, of women in those movies. I apologize. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I know. I don't yeah. know how you don't Kate see Winslet. this movie as a Tarantino movie. I just don't. It. I. I feel like. I uh, my, my, feel my, so ridiculously Tarantino, my, and like it, the uh, worst parts of Tarantino. That's what wow. this movie feels no, like. See, uh, sorry, Ryan, I I don't want to cut you off, but no, like, you're good. This is what I kept telling people. What like remember I told you guys when I first walked out of this, I actually was pretty disappointed with it, and I, t- I kept telling people this is the least Tarantino feeling Tarantino movie I've ever watched. Of all his films, this one felt the least like him until those thirty minutes. No, I I, I disagree. I th- I think it feels like the worst of Tarantino. Like it feels very much like him. It has all of the hallmarks of a Tarantino film. And it's this is exactly Tortellini. <laughs> Feet can't be considered a hallmark. But they are. But they are. <laughs> how like how like I don't know how you could watch this movie and not have just like it's literally Quentin Tarantino saying, hey, look, I can make a movie and you can't. My he po- puts my- feet in this movie like no other. Like, what Are the hell? Okay? I hope, Are you I, okay? I, I, some part of me hopes that Quentin Tarantino was writing this movie. He's like tucked away in his house. And he's like, I can't wait to put so many feet in this movie to piss Cameron <laughs> off. Like, I, I just can't wait for Cameron to have to see all these feet on the screen. And that's what I'm saying. This movie, I don't like when filmmakers get as cocky as Tarantino does with his films. It's annoying. I get that you're direct I get that you're the director of this movie. Direct the movie without putting it in my face. Based on his fetishes, I don't think he's very cocky at all. He's funny. There you go. <laughs> I got you. I, I don't know. I'm I get what you're saying, Cameron, because there are sometimes where certain things that directors will do that I'm like, you're only doing this because you can. But and maybe it's just the way that I think at the end of the day I'm like, well, yeah, it's their film, and if they want to do that, then so be it. Like, I may not like it, but if they want to do it, like, who who am I to argue with it? You know what I mean? Can I critique it? Yeah, sure, but I mean, I'm not I'm not going to change their mind. And there's bound to be people out there who are going to like it. 
Do you know what yeah. I read when I was researching this film? Which is, I didn't research. The Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, this is the first film from Quentin Tarantino without Harvey Weinstein. So, oh. the first film back without The Predator, he makes a movie that sucks and has no women in it. Is Weinstein Company a producer on his other films? Yeah. Miramax. Yeah. So this right. is the first yeah. one that he brought in that didn't have Weinstein on it. And it just, I feel like it, it could have been something more. But he went right back to the time period when people were, bef- like when Harvey was already in power. So he just are wanted you sa- to tell a story. Are you I'm- are you saying that, um, and I just want to make sure I clarify this, this is a touchy subject. Are you saying that this movie feels like if Harvey Weinstein was even still involved, like it would have happened the same way? Is that kind of what you're saying? I mean, what in what sense? So Quentin Tarantino, he writes movies that are controversial to begin with. Yeah. A lot of his movies um, deal with difficult topics. Hitler, kind of a bad guy from our history. <laughs> But it's all like it's all satires on difficult topics. Exactly. It's the different aspects we could take from those moments. Right. Yeah. Django Unchained is racism. Racism is what he's going for. Racism. With that one. Yeah. But racism in this sense, it's like he has this moment to talk about the reality of the time that he's doing it. And he doesn't have the restraints that Harvey Weinstein was putting on his company would think beforehand. So he's able to bring more women. And Lena Dunham is a huge activist when it comes to females in the entertainment industry and feminism. She talks actively about um, the mistreatment of women. So it's just bewildering to me that this is the movie that comes out so fucking bad with no purpose as the first movie back. It's so funny that you brought that up because when I first saw this and I saw Lena Dunham in it, that was exactly what I thought was like, you know, she's she's very out there with with all that stuff. And she's very, you know, active with trying to fight for equal rights and things like that. Mm-hmm. But with his, you know, history, with, yeah, with his <laughs> history and how people think of Quentin Tarantino, it's like it was very surprising to me that she well, appeared in the film, you know. OK, I not to get. L- Lena Dunham is uh, a little problematic. Um, no, I definitely right. Yeah, no, yeah, she, yeah, right. No, but yeah, I, all, yeah. I, but yeah, just you know, her whole treatment of what happened with Odell Beckham Jr. is just just kind of goes to show some of the issues. With I, I, forgot white about, femini- I forgot about that. With white that. feminism, and I, I, I want to make it very clear though. I think Lena Dunham is incredibly talented. I don't know if you guys have seen the TV show Girls. Um, you I mean w- the one that made her famous? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I watched that. Uh, I watched that show this summer uh, or this quarantine. I guess it wasn't technically summer, but during quarantine. And I previously had stayed away from that show because of how, you know, how her new like her news cycle basically. What yeah, you hear because about of her. that. Because I know you know I know that she's prob you know, she's problematic and she's friends with Amy Schumer and. I, unlike a lot of people, actually find Amy Schumer pretty funny. That's because um, they're other people's jokes. That's why. Yeah. Well, I think Trainwreck is a very good movie. Like, That's I true. Think it, yeah. I think is an excellent. And I, I actually thought I Feel Pretty was decent. Like, I, there are issues with that. But, like, um, but like I, I actually enjoy Amy Schumer's comedy. I, But I still stayed away because I know that they are problematic. Um, 
But the writing in Girls is so ridiculously strong. I mean, it is some of the best writing I've ever seen in a television show. And I think it would be really interesting is what would happen if Quentin Tarantino wrote this movie and then Lena Dunham took over and she rewrote the movie and she did some script doctoring and see what this movie could have come out to because um, I think that that combination would have been very interesting. I don't think there's anything that Lena Dunham could have done with this script to make it look like her vision of what it should have been because you basically would have had to uh, re- I, you could have had to rewrite it in a way that just is it's not the same story. But exactly. But well, that's I mean, what, yeah, but that's exactly it. She but it's a different have, it's a different it's a different movie then, right? Yeah. But that's okay. You know, she could have actually done something with the female characters because I think this movie probably had the most female characters of well, any char- Tarantino film. Characters is strong. Well, okay, but that's exactly what I'm saying. It, yeah. it has the most female actresses, I guess you could say, but none of them are fleshed out. Like, you know, even if you go to Inglorious Bastards, you have two uh, female characters that are way more fleshed out. Um, yeah, Diane Kruger's really, her character's really well done in Glorious Bastards. Yeah, and, um, yeah, exactly. Um, and Melanie Laurent. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're not, we're, and we're not, I don't think any of us are saying that Tarantino can't write a, a female character. Kill Bill's arguably his best film. A lot of people say that. I, it's not none of our favorites, I think, but uh, people really like he does have, that character. He does have issues with perpetrating violence. That's true. Onto yeah. women, like especially like Logan mentioned this, like the like the you know the person who fl- who flies into the pool and you know gets torched, you know. Well, well, and hateful eight, he they beat the shit out of Jennifer Jason Lee in that movie. <laughs> yeah, so. part part of me thinks maybe you know it's because like you said, we know his history, and you know yeah. there was the whole thing with Uma Thurman in the car accident, and you know, and just stories about him and. You know, well, uh, you know, we can ask him all about it when he's a guest in two years yeah. <laughs> um, at our ArcLight movie theater episode. Yeah, at the yes. ArcLight showing our live ArcLight. Um, I want to get us With Zach Galifianakis. Uh, yes, I want to get us back on track a little I'm bit. I'm sorry. I no, guess. no, no, no. That was no. That was an important discussion. Um, but I want to talk. We talked a lot about Leo. We'll probably touch on him a little bit more because it really. I want to move on to Cliff Booth, Brad Pitt's character, a little bit. But those two characters are so intertwined for most of the film that their stories are basically the same story, just told in a different way. It's like one is the one is the actor that is having issues, and one is his stunt double that is having issues. But they're just having different issues. Um, I know, Joel, you think Brad Pitt portrayed that character incredibly well. Do you also think that the character was a good character, though? I do because I like that he accepted what he was, you know, like a murderer. Whole, yeah. No, there's that whole part <laughs> I where killed my wife where he, for everyone listening at home, they never said he kills his wife. Was, we was don't it, know a, was it sure. a heart? Was it a harpoon uh, gun that he was? Was it a harpoon gun that he was holding? Like it was. What gun? Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. I thought so. They he never explicitly tell us that he killed his wife. That's what people think he did. Um, no, the fact <laughs> that, that, but he, that is so Black Mirror-esque of the film itself. How many years have people been saying terrible things about actors? People are like, well, it's a... No, and then right, it turns no, you're out that right. they did it. So I you're guess right. technically my mind is changing. It is very a uh, good... I hate that I'm saying this. It's a good <laughs> representation of what probably did happen a lot. It's this idea where it's like this famous dude. He also almost kills Bruce Lee, so... But then people... That's uh, Bruce deal. Lee would disagree. 
Well, I mean, you know who would disagree? I mean, the China would disagree entirely about the portrayal of Bruce Lee, but we don't have to get into the issues that they had with that. So, um, but uh, in regards to Cliff, though, Joel, like I, I, I liked that he, like I said, that the character accepted the fact that he's like, he said straight up, he's like, I'm your gopher, dude. Like, I'm not your stunt double anymore. Like, I'm just, I'm doing things around your house. I'm running your errands and stuff like that. But he accepts that and he almost takes pride in it. You know, he seems to really be happy with the fact that he is uh, Rick's best friend. You know, that he that he is there for Rick and that he can be there for Rick whenever he needs it. And then we see that at the end, you know, when he's driving off and Rick finally kind of tells him, like, you're a good friend. You know, he's like, I try. He's basically his caretaker. At yeah, this exactly. Point. Male friendships bewilder me. <laughs> <laughs> a friendship. Ryan, Ryan, later, I need you to fix my satellite. I was gonna, I was gonna touch on that. It's almost like he's more so. It, he works for him. Yeah. Right, and that's what well, I'm saying is that him. Cliff, Cliff understands that, and and he's okay with it. He's accepted that, and like I said, he almost takes pride in the fact that like this is his job. But at the end of the day, even though he is an employee of Rick's, like he's his best friend. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't really know where to go with the story of their friendship because they seem to genuinely care about each other, but also like he pays him, but we see where, where cliff lives. And it's just this rundown trailer, at an old drive-in movie theater. So like, like, obvi- like, do you, do we think that Rick would still care about what happens with cliff? If he didn't have all those like DWIs and couldn't drive himself, like would they spend as much time together as they do? Yeah. They're friends. Yeah, I would agree I think with so. that. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. Um, it's just a, it's a, it's a friendship that has what's the word I'm looking for? They're like, not like complications, but it's like requirements almost to the friendship. Like, mm. like Rick needs Cliff to make sure that he stays on the straight arrow, and Cliff needs Rick because he needs somebody to fund him because he can't, he can't get to. Uh, he can't get a job anymore. And let's talk about that. Why Cliff can't get, can't get a job. Um, we talked about a little bit about uh, him killing his wife, which is a scene that we do not know for sure if he did it, but the moniker, he did it. We don't know for sure, but the moniker is there. So like it's enough in public that like when we have the scene, uh, when Cliff drops Rick off at the old West set, and he asks him, you know, can you get me, can you get me the job as a stunt, uh, as a stuntman? And Rick tells him the stunt coordinator is a friend of Randy's, who, and if, and then they're just like, oh, okay, well then never mind. Then we find out later Randy was the stunt coordinator on the Green Hornet, which was a real television show, um, and that's where the Bruce Lee character comes in, and uh, Rick convinces Randy to give Cliff a shot, even though. Randy doesn't like him. His wife really doesn't like him. But Rick pushes for it, gives Cliff the shot. How Cliff responds is getting into a fight with the star of the show and Bruce Lee, throwing him into a car, which I believe was owned by Randy, the stunt coordinator's wife, who also yeah. worked on the picture. <laughs> and Cliff gets fired. Um, that's the scene that he also reminisces about when he's fixing the satellite as well, or the antenna, whatever he was doing up there. Um are we supposed to feel bad for Cliff in this movie? Logan, did you feel bad for Cliff that he had hit like a rough stretch? I could care less about Cliff. <laughs> but not like I meant just like when you're think what like when you have a character portrayed that way, it's almost like they were going for like 
us to feel sorry for Cliff and Rick to a sense as well. It felt like they were trying to make us feel bad that like they were in a rough spot. Yeah, I don't really know what they were trying to make me feel. If I had more storyline, I might be able to answer the question better, to be completely honest. I have yeah. no fucking idea who this Cliff guy is. To be honest, didn't know his name was Cliff. Um, <laughs> they don't talk like that. Like, So it's, it's, it's just so weird to me that these characters are very flawed. In flawed characters, you love them. They're real. But they don't do anything at all to better themselves, to slightly be a better person. So it's like, uh, yeah, we're, we're joking that he murdered his wife, but if multiple people on a film set think this dude murdered his wife, the likelihood that there's been a rumor about where his wife went <laughs> is yeah. very high. That's kind of, that you're kind of touching on what uh, my point a little bit though, is that like the way they're characterized is a character that in a normal sense, you'd be like, we're supposed to root for this character to get out yeah. of their tough situation and and get better but they don't get better they just get lucky in some senses or at least rick does at the end cliff not so much when we'll but we're going to touch on the ending scenes it's probably arguably all of our favorite parts of the film or at least the one we can talk the most about and we will yeah. get into that um but it's just joel i i know you probably have something to say about this it just doesn't feel like the it just doesn't feel like a character that i would want to see succeed i never felt bad for cliff and never thought that that was the intent um kind of going back to where i was at earlier like cliff just seems so content with where his life's at and he, he it's almost like he's like a in a way he's a little bit opposite of rick you know rick's going through all this hardship of oh like this is the end like i i've reached my you know my my climax of my career like i'm, I'm just downhill from here and cliff's just kind of like yep yeah, you know we, i had my fun and now it's just a matter of making a living you know, and so in that sense, I don't think we were ever supposed to really feel bad for Cliff because he's happy with where he's at. He's accepted the life that he's living now. But, but is that, that a character worth talking about in a movie? Characters in movies are supposed to be something that you, you feel change with. So if a character is, he's come into his, you know, story, peaceful, at ease, no growth to be made, no want for growth. Why is he still on the screen? For, and again, I think the main reason, and touching on something that you had mentioned earlier, it needs to be less – the whole story, as much as it already kind of is, needs to be much more about Rick, and we need to see more of that. Because Cliff, Cliff's job as a character in the film should have just kind of been that support for Rick, which he was, but he also had this whole storyline of his own, which we really didn't need to see. You know what I mean? But if he was just kind of this supporting character for Rick who was there to help him out, get through things, hey, pep talk time here and fine, I'll drive you over here for this, whatever type thing, then I think his character would have been much more uh, accepted and appreciated by audiences. But the fact that, like like you were saying, that he has this whole story that just builds to nothing and we don't see any character arc or growth out of him, that's where you kind of lose the fact that he was a good character. You know? I would say that Cliff his sole purpose in the film is to be a conduit to tie Rick Dalton to the Manson family. I feel like that. I feel like that's just what he's there for. Most of his story arc is stuff with the Manson family. The scene, the, his biggest scene in the movie is when he's on the spawn ranch. Mm -hmm. um, that's, and that's how we're able to get to that ending. Let's talk about the, let's talk about the Manson elements. Cause this will lead us into the finale of the film, which is what we want to get to here. Um, but I want to just talk about what we think 
in regards to the Manson family portrayal. Um, not just Charles, not Charles Manson himself. He's barely in it. He's not important to this movie at all. They only name drop him. He has that one weird scene outside of uh, Sharon Tate's house where he talks to uh, talks to Jay. Um, but how familiar was everybody with the Manson murder story before they saw this movie? Like, were we all at least aware of what the story was? Yep. No. Yeah, I, I mean, I knew the general story. I don't know a lot of details about it, um, but I am familiar with you know the story. I didn't know any of it. Well, I grew so, up in L.A., so yeah, it's like <laughs> a biggest story. I mean, it definitely it definitely shined lights that I didn't know entirely about. Obviously, I knew about the Sharon Tate elements behind it, but I didn't know a lot about like the family. Right. But this this is where I wanted to talk about with the cast because this is where it becomes a who's who of people showing up when Cliff takes uh, Margaret Qualley's character. Um, what was her name? Like, oh, Pussycat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Takes Pussycat back to the ranch. And then you just run down the list of these actresses that show up. Lena Dunham, we've mentioned, she plays Gypsy. Uh, we touched on Maya Hawk a little bit, uh, obviously from Stranger Things fa- fame. She plays Flower Child. A couple other uh, deep cut ones. Madison Beatty, if you've seen the new Jumanji film, she plays the the redheaded girl of the friend group. So this was like a nice mm-hmm. little in-between for her, for those two. Um, Sydney Sweeney, very popular hey, uh, in Euphoria, Euphoria. fame. Um, Harley Quinn Smith. She's friends with Zendaya in that. She, in she that is. Show. Harley Quinn Smith, another one, Kevin Smith's daughter. Um, and then my personal favorite, Victoria uh, Pedretti, who's well known from uh, The Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor and, of course, the series U. And that's just the ones that, like, as of this point, two years, less than two years after the film that we are aware of and somewhat mainstream. But you just look at, at the cast list. It's just so many characters showing up. I didn't know all those people were in it. I think I closed my eyes during the scene. <laughs> well, I didn't I know even, half those people. I didn't even mention Dakota Fanning. Like you talked on, I touched on earlier. I love Dakota Fanning. It's just a weird role for her. I like Elle Fanning more, if I'm being honest. Okay, well, no one asked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can't get Dakota Fanning as a guest now either. Great. I love Dakota um, Fanning. Um, yeah, but it's just like, uh, I don't know, did, did the Manson elements of the, I didn't even talk about, uh, Austin Butler who plays Tex in it. Who's like, that's not his name. Austin, it's but- Vanessa Hudgens, ex-boyfriend. No, oh, that yeah, worked. that is that his worked. name. That works for me. That's what I wrote um, in my notebook. <laughs> um, that works <laughs> Future as well. Elvis Presley. There's just so yeah. many, there's just so many characters. We didn't even talk about, um, Luke Perry, Timothy Oliphant, uh, oh, Julia I Butter, will. Julia Butters, who plays the young girl in that in the scene on the western like and then bruce dern is the old man at spawn ranch there's so many people in this movie um yet it still sucks well but it doesn't suck because of that like it's not because there's too many people sometimes i do think that there's a a fault in movies that they try to push all these people in there and some people if you don't give them enough time if i saw leonardo dicaprio in a movie for five minutes he would be leonardo dicaprio in that film there's no amount of character work you could do for that scene to make me not see that. You need the time with these big actors to grow with them. If Meryl Streep was playing Dakota Fanning, I'd be like, why the fuck is Meryl Streep in this weird house? <laughs> it's a good I point. would not be able to outsee that. I, I mean, I was like, I love Dakota Fanning. I would watch the end scene of Twilight from Breaking Dawn Part 2, the montage music video with Christina Perry. I would watch that two hours and 30 minutes over this movie. Yeah. I mean, I love Dakota Fanning. So, but you, but you kind of mentioned you, but you didn't like her in this role though. 
right? Like you it just didn't make sense. Right. I didn't it like was, anyone in any role. Do we if, do we let's take let's take Rick and Cliff out of this equation because they're the main characters. Let's take Sharon out too, um, because they portray her as a main character. Is it just too bloated with everybody else? Is that what we're thinking here? Like like Timothy Oliphant, does he have to play James Stacy? Like Bruce Dern, does he have to be George Spawn? Like Damian Lewis, did he have to portray Steve McQueen? Could have it just been these no name actors that these two main leads yes. are working with? It could like, have been, but like like Timothy Oliphant and uh, uh, Luke Perry, for instance, like I loved them in those roles. Me Especially too. Especially Timothy Oliphant, I think he did fantastic. John, yeah, he's Johnny Madrid. Yeah, um, but no, you you guys are totally right. Like there there is a point where think of a movie like a uh, like Knives Out that goes that does exactly what Logan is saying here. Like those that's loaded with people. But yeah. they all get enough time to where it makes sense, and they can build these characters. Whereas, like you said, with Dakota Fanning in this, like it's like, why was that Dakota Fanning? You know, it almost would have been more sense if it was just a complete no name, you know, right. someone we've literally never heard of at all. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm a, I'm a good mix of both because there definitely are some characters in here that it's like eh, that didn't need to be anybody. Um, but then, like I said, with Timothy Oliphant, Luke Perry, I think those were great choices. I think in regards to the girls at the Spawn Ranch, maybe he just didn't think a lot of them were going to become as famous as, as they have in the last mm. like two years. Um, so maybe he just got unlucky. Like it's like you know some of the some of the characters that he got he got somewhat lesser known people. Like the guy that plays Bruce Lee, Mike Mo, I think is his name. I don't know if I'm saying his last name right. But I don't really know who that guy is. Austin Butler, even I don't really know who he is. I like what is he? Is he a Disney Channel person? I have no, no idea. No, he's, he's Vanessa Hudgens' ex boyfriend. Well, okay, but like, where did he come from? Her. Like, yeah, that's the only reason people know who he is. That's the only reason I know him. Okay. That's, he's the, the yeah. That's the reason I knew him. And then, like I said, now he's going to be playing Elvis. I saw that. He yeah, was that's in right. The, he was actually in the Carrie Diaries. Oh, I didn't see that. The spinoff of Sex in the City. Oh, okay. Yeah, now I know what you're talking about. Um, the first spinoff, and now they're doing the mm -hmm. reboot, all whatever they're doing for that. It just, um, I know Cameron, you said that it was too bloated. Like, do you think this movie's just better if it's just maybe even just Brad Pitt, Leo, and uh, even keep Margot Robbie in, and everybody else is just somebody you've never heard of? Or, or maybe in regards to like even like the smaller, like just the smaller roles, is it better if we just don't know who these people are so they're not distracting us from the film? Because like, oh, that's Luke Perry. That's Dakota Fanning. That's Timothy Oliphant. What do you yeah. think about that? I like cameos where you don't know that, or you can't, it takes like a little bit to see that that person's cameo. Gotcha. Uh, and it's like, like in, um, Star Wars of Fork, Star Wars of Force Awakens. The Force um, Awakens. With da you're talking about Daniel Craig, right? Yeah, yeah, Daniel Craig. You know, finding out afterwards that he was a stormtrooper, like that was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then like, or, the next time I went back, I saw, or, oh, that's Daniel Craig. Or like Matt Damon in Deadpool Two, where he's that uh, that trucker talking about how to properly wipe his ass. Yeah, yeah stuff like that. Or um, wasn't wasn't Brad Pitt uh, the? Yeah, he was the he was the invisible guy. Yeah, and, you know, quick stuff like that is you know kind of fun. It is, but like, um, but yeah, no, like, you know, those, that's different than you know this where you're just like you're just putting in all of these people just to have them as part of the cast list. Like the Lena Dunham didn't add anything to this movie. Dakota Fanning didn't add anything to this movie. Like they're just extras they're getting paid a ton of money Alpa, <laughs> you know al pacino's another one it's just like he has what two scenes and he's just not that important no see but and but with him though though that character's not important i liked al pacino in that role. at least I, he has dialogue he does. i yeah. really like what he does with that role again just tarantino not 
writing the you know female characters yeah it just kind of feels like if that scene were to go longer at the ranch like you could just keep adding characters like next it's dakota fanning and then you turn the corner lebron james is there he's in a dress (laughs) i'm so excited for the new space jam me too that's gonna be great Um, dakota fanning's in it i was it she plays lola bunny so i want to touch on before we wrap up this podcast i want to touch on the ending scene cameron let's talk about that ending i'm gonna go with you here yeah, so the ending is when we finally see the Manson family murders actually happening. I don't really know too much about this whole thing. I guess I but looked into it a little bit. What's up? But it's a it's a flip though. Yeah, yeah. Right? So that's what I'm saying is I don't actually know how this thing went down. I didn't do too much research into it. But it's essentially, sad. It's super sad. Here, yeah, uh, here, here's so, what okay. here's what I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Um, in, to just clarify it for you you know in the part where they first show up when they show up in the car yeah the, yeah and they're parked outside of uh sharon tate's house the yeah, Blansky they were gonna house. go kill them right so imagine that that just happens and rick dalton doesn't come out to yeah. talk to them that's the real story yeah 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 but um brad pitt is annoyed of their loud noises so he goes out and he's like, "Hey, what the hell?" And no, that was like, that was Le- that was Leo that Leo did that. Oh, Rick it was Dalton. Leo. Okay, well, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm dumb. the fuck the fucking hippies, Cameron. That, that's right, the <laughs> fucking hippies. Sorry, I got them mixed up. You know, because they're they're the same character. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, he comes out and then they go and attack them instead. And this is where we get the Quentin Tarantino part. You know, the violent part. You know, the the dogs biting and the you know beating someone's ass with a can of dog food and you know goriness and blowing someone uh blowing someone up with a flamethrower and all that stuff and wildly entertaining to watch had nothing to do with the rest of the movie yeah but it is it is the most entertaining part of the movie even though it's massively gory massively yeah it's very gory okay can i touch on that yeah go for it that was one of the reasons i was disappointed when i watched this for the first time was a lot of people that were just friends of mine and then at our break room where we all used to work were coming in and telling me oh my goodness like the last 30 minutes of this film are probably like the craziest 30 minutes of any Tarantino film of all time. Like the end is so insane. So wild. and I kept thinking like, Did Oh wow. Like I'm Hateful excited. <laughs> I'm right. Not, that's well, that's well, what I'm have saying. They, have they not seen any Tarantino movie? And, and, and all these people. And, and like I said, like all kinds of friends stuff were telling me like, Oh, like the last 30 minutes, like it's just very Tarantino. It, it gets like crazy. And so I went into Ew. the movie expecting like just something insane. Like, I, like, I don't know what I was expecting. But then it ended, and I was like, oh, like, that was it? Like, that's what I would expect. Like, that's about what I would have come into this movie expecting, you know? (laughs) I feel like I would have had a better first experience had no one talked to me at all about it. You know what I mean? I still probably would have walked out a little bit kind of like, man, because like I said, it just didn't feel Tarantino to me. But that was a huge letdown for me because the ending was, like, built up to be something more than it turned out to be. Mm. Yeah, I just think it's it's interesting that – he's there's no and there's no time for violence in the rest of the movie but it just flips entirely like 
to, to explain how the three people die, we already talked about the one girl that runs through the glass after getting hit in the face with the can. This all happens to one person. She gets hit in the face with the can yeah. of dog food, which bloodies up her bloodies up her nose. Then just they, her nose, right? <laughs> they, yeah, and it's and then they sick the dog on her, who's just tearing apart at her arm. When the dog is called off, she runs through the glass door out to the pool where Rick is, where he's got his headphones in, so we can't hear any of this that's going on. She just stares at Rick and then runs further in in and into the pool. Then Rick goes and gets his flamethrower, which he conveniently has in his pool house, by the way. Because um, those are the things they let you take from set after you make a movie. Um, he grabs the flamethrower and just torches her. This happens to one person. Um, and then the other girl is the one that gets punched in the face by Rick Dalton's now wife. Uh, Francesca, I think Francesca. is her name. It doesn't matter. She doesn't matter in the movie. Um, punches her in the face, and then she runs away. Then uh, as uh, Cliff is beating the shit out of um, Tex, which we'll talk about how he dies next, but he uh, she attacks Cliff, and the knife ends up in his hip. So that's how he gets injured. Um, but then he just goes like Terminator on her, just bashes her head into anything he can find in the house, just anything. Um, like a, a support beam, a movie poster, a table, all of it. That's how she dies. And then Tex, who's the one who's like the ringleader for this, he sicks the dog on him first. He bites him in the leg, bites him in the balls. When he switches the dog over, Tex tries to come at him with the knife. Cliff shuts him down, knocks him to the ground, and just stomps on his head and kills him. That's how those are our three deaths in the movie. They are mm-hmm. as they're even more vivid than I could even describe. Do we think it's too much? Like, Joel, we know you think it's too much because you kind of were disappointed. Logan, do you think that was just no, too no, much? No, no, the opposite. The opposite. Oh, th- I, I, not necessarily that I would have wanted you don't, you more. Don't, you don't think it was enough? No, no, not necessarily that I, d- I think it wasn't enough, but it was built up to be, like, again, that was about what I expected. After having seen Hateful Eight, after, you know, I hadn't seen Inglorious Bastards yet, but now after seeing that, it's like both of those films, to me, seem like they're far more violent than what we see in this last 30 minutes, but everyone seemed to build it up. Like it was like crazy. You know, I think the, the honestly, the part that kind of got me the most was when he was bashing her face into the phone. Yeah. That was the one that was most like, Oh, like to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the ending of hateful eight, I think is much gorier because they, what? They, oh yeah. They, they shoot the Sam vomiting Jackson. Vomiting of blood. And yeah. Everything? They, like, the, yeah. Ugh. They shoot Sam Jackson in the testicles, like Channing Tatum shoots him from underneath the floorboard. And then they just go, and then he blows his head off. He blows Channing Tatum's head off. And then they hang Jen for Jason Lee. Like, yeah, that movie made me queasy. Yeah, it's dark that one, um, but it's fun uh, at least, un- unlike some films. Um, Logan, do you think it was too much <laughs> the violence that they were going for with this one? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I didn't expect anything less. So, like coming into it, the only thing that really, like, really got with me is freaking Vanessa Hudgens' ex-boyfriend punches a dog in the head. That's true, yeah. That's <laughs> fucked up. Like, yeah, is that a real cool. dog? And also, this is what I wrote in my notebook. I said, unrealistic. I, and I quoted it underneath because if someone punched my dog, I would immediately go punch them. I would save my dog. That's what he does, though. It takes him uh, way too long. I mean, he well, is, he's he, on an acid cigarette. That's also true. We didn't talk about matter. that. Yeah, we didn't mention we didn't mention that Cliff and Rick during this entire scene are absolutely like three sheets to the wind. They went to a Mexican restaurant, drank a ton of margaritas. 
Rick made more, and Cliff smoked an acid-laced well, cigarette. This also has the be- this is also the funniest part of the movie with the di- uh, the dialogue is yeah, really good. and he's like he's like oh I know you he's like I'm the devil he's like no nah, it's something dumber than that <laughs> yeah uh, it's like are you real I'm as real as a donut <laughs> it's like what, what are you <laughs> yeah, talking no, about I did not understand that <laughs> yeah I like this scene I thought it was funny me too I thought the moments were good the action was fine i really sometimes am confused about how they make women desperate in these scenes i find it funny but the fact that she (laughs) just ran through glass and then ran in a pool and then stood in the pool and just took the flames yeah doesn't make a lot of sense to me it just goes back to the whole thing is this is this is a different movie than the first two hours and 15 minutes and i think that there are good things in the first two hours and 15 minutes and i think that there are good things in this bit the issue is is that they do not feel like the same movie they feel it the ending feels ham-fisted it feels like oh i guess i have to end the movie and i guess i gotta do it in my quentin tarantino way guess it's time for ultra violence and deaths and you know and all all this stuff and we talk about endings that don't feel earned well this one is completely separate from anything else that happens in the movie yeah brad pitt goes to spawn ranch and there's the connection with you know the manson family there but does it really have anything to do with anything else in the movie no other than the fact that we know that sharon tate lives next door and the context of life of like the real world of history gives it more meaning than the movie itself gives it. And I think that's kind of an issue. I think, um, I think we could all agree that this is arguably the most entertaining scene in the film. I would say it's either this one or when Leo's on the Western set, that's my personal favorite scene in the movie. Um, but yeah, everything else is just, it just kind of happens. Like we've talked about, there's not a lot of plot. It's a character-driven story. Um, and some of the characters are good, and some of them are just kind of there. That's really that's really what Once Upon a Time in Hollywood boils down to. So we're going to head towards the end of our episode. Before we decide if we want our money back for this one, Logan, I want to throw this to you. What could have been done with this movie, essentially, to fix it? What would you, what would you have liked to have seen them do? Uh, tell a story about someone who matters about something that matters all of quentin tarantino's films have had like such stakes at it this mm-hmm. film didn't have any stakes for me and the moments where stakes could have been built they were taken away for nostalgic reasons so it just feels like maybe if they actually tried to make a movie rather than make this extravagant work with all these amazing people in it mm-hmm. focused more on the story they could have gotten something better Whose story would you have wanted it to be about, though? Was still Rick Dalton? I don't know. It's it's hard to say because, you know, I, I, there's a couple stories I want to hear out of this. Um, I know I want Sharon Tate's story. Yeah. I want, you know, Dakota Fanning's Manson murder story. <laughs> I want Austin Butler. Hey, you uh, said his name this time. Vanessa <laughs> Hudgens' ex-boyfriend. <laughs> I want his story. I re- Rick Dalton's story. I don't fucking want Cliff ever. Brad Pitt. Yeah. Go away. Even even though, Joel, you think he was the best actor in the movie, do you think, like, 
a lot of us probably think that he's just maybe the least important character in regards to the story that Tarantino's trying to tell because he's trying to tell um, he's trying to tell a mix of Rick Dalton's story and meshing it with the Manson murders, which involves Sharon Tate. So you maybe could've... you could tell the story without him. Yeah, you or, or just less of him. Like, you know, you, you definitely could tell it without him. Yeah. But I think the biggest fix here is either focus more on Sharon and let us see more, build her up more as an actual character and let us see a little bit more of her, you know, butting into the industry and trying to become this, you know, this actress, you know, the, breaking into the scene or again show us less let her be this sort of mystic figure where you know rick is trying to to reach her but not in like a in a relationship way but more of a like she's a connection she could be something that could lead me to where i want to be again you know and and he's chasing after this this thing and like i said i think the moment at the end where we hear him talking to her through the box and then eventually actually getting to meet her would be so much more powerful if he had not seen her at all through the whole thing, we need to know that she lives next door, maybe quick glances. But like you said, Logan, we don't even need to see her face. You know, just like the back of her, we could see her hair. You know, we drive into the car and you could see her hair blowing in the wind or whatever. Just let her be this mystic figure. Um, I think much more focus on Rick and his story or more focus on Sharon is, is what really kind of fixed this. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I think my biggest issue with this film is the melding of a real-life event story of Sharon Tate, melding with a fictional story about Hollywood involving with Rick Dalton. I think they should really just be two separate movies. I think you should just take the Sharon Tate element out, maybe keep it like we talked about where she's just like just an alluring figure more than a character. I think that's what you do with this one. I think that's the best route. Or you just take the Manson murder element out entirely and just tell a fictional story about 1960s Hollywood. I think either one of those routes is the good route to go. Cameron, what about you? What do you think they could do? Well, like I said, give the script to Lena Dunham. See what she can do with it. No, I'm uh... Dear God, no. What? Why? I don't want to hear from Lena Dunham. But have you seen Girls? <laughs> I want to hear from Dakota Fanning. <laughs> there it is. Let Has her Dakota write it. Fanning written anything? Probably, probably like not. Probably. I like mean, something. I'm sure she's probably written like something, but I don't yeah. know if it's been made into anything. No. Um. I mean, the they needed to, you know, they needed this movie needed to be tighter. Um, as far as editing goes, like I said, it's it's too. It's too long. This movie needed to have more focus. Uh, and the ending needed to match the beginning or vice versa. You know, it's... Um, this is what happens when you let a filmmaker like Tarantino make exactly the film that purely he wants with all of his, you know, feet fetishes or whatever, with all of his <laughs> friends, with all of his stars, he this is this is what happens when you let someone like them, like Tarantino, you let his ego make the movie instead of the filmmaker itself. Um, and you know, we see it's just not a, it just doesn't end up well. I will one hundred percent go with you know what my friend said. Um, if this movie was made by someone other than Tarantino, same exact movie, different name on it, this movie would not have been reviewed well. With that in mind, Cameron, let's go to the final part of our episode. 
would you want your refund for this? The price of the ticket, 2019, let's call it about $9 based on the annual average. Would you run a refund? And if so, how much? No, I'm not going to ask for it. I went and saw this movie in theaters, and I was excited while watching it. I was le- or I was excited before watching it. I was less excited while watching it. But that didn't mean that I wanted my money back. This is a movie that I, as far as it goes, I'll never, I'll never watch this movie again. And that's okay. rare. That's rare for me with Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, you said you'd watch A Wrinkle in Time again if you had to. Yeah, so. I, yeah. I mean, well, because A Wrinkle in Time wasn't. I mean, I don't want to watch A Wrinkle in Time, but I would watch A Wrinkle in Time before I watch this movie again because it, <laughs> because it was shorter. Um, oh wow! No, I and but like, hey, hey, who directed that? By the way, uh, Quentin Tarantino, right? No, uh, Anna Duvernay. Anna. Oh my God. Ava Duvernay. Sorry, no. I was. It's uh, Ava Duvernay. Duvernay. Ava Duvernay. Ava Duvernay. Okay, her. She yeah. she directed it. We got to pick more of her movies for no, us to I, review just for that. But all of her other movies are good. That's true. No, and so I, I enjoyed the ending, and it made me go, wow, that was cool. But then afterwards, I was like, well, maybe it wasn't that. Like, you know, I was, I was bored during this movie. Like I said, I checked my watch multiple times. Um, ready for it to because I, I I with same with you Joel I had heard that the ending was really cool so I was mm-hmm. waiting for that ending because the rest of the movie was not doing it for me, um, uh, and then we got to the ending and I was like that was cool but it had nothing to do with the rest of the movie, uh so no do I ask for a refund, no the, am I ever gonna watch this movie again no, and like I said that's rare for me I have seen Inglorious Bastards like six or seven times today. I've seen, yeah, today uh, I've seen Django Unchained four or five times. That was yesterday. Yeah. I've seen Kill Bill, uh, vo- you know, volume, volume two is the best one. Um, I've seen that, you know, two or three times. I, I like Tarantino's films cause I think he makes good. I do think he makes good movies. I do not think, I think this is in the same camp for me as Pulp Fiction, which is a massively overrated movie that just does not deliver and what I feel it could have, you know? Fair enough. Uh, Joel, I feel like we all know where you're going with this one, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to ask for a refund. I, I want to say like, you guys all make great points. Like I understand this movie is not perfect and there is a lot that's wrong with it. But that being said, like, the more I watch it, the more I find myself entertained and finding these little nuanced things that I'm like, oh, I really liked that. Like you said, Ryan, my favorite scene of the whole movie is when we're seeing Rick on the the set for uh, Lancer. Yeah. And that whole stuff, uh, Logan kind of touched on it when he's having that like blow up scene with Timothy Oliphant, and we see the camera move like we're on set with it, all that stuff. And then it's when incredible. he goes out, it, it's just it feels so enjoyable to watch to me. But I'm also unfortunately super super nostalgic again for eras that i never experienced and i think that's why i'm so nostalgic for them is because it's like it's something that i never got to know and i never will get to know so to me it's just it's all like it's like yeah that would have been perfect if i was around back then who knows i probably would have hated it you know it really but because i didn't get to experience it anytime there's these films set in these eras that that i'll never get to be part of it something grabs me you know and especially for la i'm 
I'm a big time touristy person. I'm constantly looking at landmarks and going to these places that people talk about like, oh, this is the hot spot and this is that and this theater is known for this. And seeing all that on the screen in 70 millimeter at the dome, they show the dome on the screen and the theater just blew up with applause. Like it was something special. And the more and more I watch this, the more and more I enjoy it. No, I think that makes sense. Um, I think that the Rick Dalton elements of the story are entertaining enough for me where I would I, I I would watch this again, I think. I think I would watch this another time. Um I just enjoy that I enjoy that story. I unfortunately, it's only really like a third of the story, but it's good enough for me that I would I would stick through this again. I don't think I wouldn't ask for any money back on this one as well. Um, but Logan, you're our guest. You suggested the film. So we'll ask you, would you want your money back after seeing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? How much was a ticket? About nine bucks. I'd want $509. My <laughs> tow ticket I was... plus the ticket that I paid. That's right. You got a lot of money. You got a lot of money on the line. You for actually this paid one. $16 to go see it. I'm looking at the ticket right now and it was 16 bucks to see it at the dome. So overall, and I got candy at the stupid dome, which is well, that's, good candy. That's, that's your it's fault. Like raisinets. <laughs> there's, a, there's a Walgreens like right. This the is one of the movies that Logan really wished she had walked out of early for. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Get to her car sooner. I've never walked out of a movie, and I never will. I like uh, seeing yeah. them till the end. This movie sucks. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah. And it just sucks that we're always like nostalgic films. This film did not need to get made. This story didn't need to get told. There's so many more wonderful things I could have watched. I would have preferred, again, to watch The Lion King, the terrible remake of The Lion King. Oh, no. Oh, boy. Again. (laughs) Are you excited for the sequel directed by Moonlight director Barry Jenkins? No, I'm not going to. We're not allowed to. We're not disrespecting Barry Jenkins. No, that's what I'm saying. It's the most interesting sequel I've ever. (laughs) Yeah. It's just going to be Lion King 2, Simba's Pride, like we talked about from the Disney Toon Studio. I can't wait for Lion King 1 and a half. I would watch oh, that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which on um, IMDb is listed as Lion King 3, by the way. That's oh, interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this sucks. Like, all right. Yeah. Well, that concludes our episode here for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Logan, again, thank you so much for oh, joining Logan, us. Yeah, this was you. a blast. Glad Can to have you. Can we put in a round of applause uh, thing no. here? Yeah, we? cue it in three, two, Don't one. Do it. <laughs> Just get a bunch of days. Yeah. We'll, we'll workshop that later on. Um, but before we close out, Logan, uh, where can the people find you on like your socials and things like that? Look me up through Rye Guy. <laughs> I do know DM her the stuff. Rye yeah. if you want to if you want to link up uh... in a friendship way or <laughs> in a commercial way. In a business sense, yeah. Ryan is her agent. Yeah, Ryan's my personal agent. Ah, um, should, if you, you need... like this movie, honestly, fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk to me uh, with joelle what? and i are no longer speaking yeah, this is it this is the end of a friendship here oh that's you hate to see that joelle likes to watch old time world war one documentaries in black and white i i did watch five came back uh that was about world war ii though i believe we're two different it, people and that's okay it's except we we all have to accept it unfortunately 
Um, well, we'll tag her Instagram on one of our posts that you'll see uh, for the episode, so people will be able to find her anyway. Um, and then, of course, you can always find us at the refund or at the is it is it refund pod? It's I got it wrong. Re, it's at just it's yeah, just yeah. at refund. I don't want to say yeah. the the. Yeah, I don't want to say the. Some the. other gonna, podcast is blown yeah. up. <laughs> it's like, you can find us at refund pod on all of your socials, Instagram, Twitter, all that. And then, of course, check out all of your podcasting sites, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts to find our show. Folks, thank you again for listening to this episode of the I'd Like a Refund podcast. But before we go, Cameron, you're back on for our next episode. Yeah, what are yeah. we reviewing next? All right. Well, it's so funny because I actually had chosen a different movie for this week until last week when we were talking about Will Smith. And I had forgotten about one of the worst movies I have ever seen in my entire life. Now, I know we've gone through some of the weeks here at this podcast and we've talked about movies that have been yeah you know kind of all right like jurassic park fallen kingdom like the good dinosaur nothing offensively bad next week we're gonna be watching collateral beauty by will smith and this is an offensively terrible movie yeah. so i am super excited to watch it uh talk about it with you guys but yeah collateral beauty is going to be our movie next week i never wanted to see that <laughs> i'm sorry oh man all right folks we'll stay tuned for next week for collateral beauty thank you again for listening and we'll see you soon love you